It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, we're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube, 7 a.m. on a Monday, ready to go through all of the Week 15 NFL action, Sam. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, variance in the voice there. Yeah, you got to do a little voice inflection to, to pull the people in here. It's beautiful. Early on a 7 a.m. Monday morning show. December 18th. It's December 18th. Yeah, it's, it's almost Christmas. Christmas. It's Christmas week. Christmas week. It's Christmas week. We've got a big week. We're going to have a show on Wednesday. We're gonna have a Christmas show on Wednesday, yeah. And we're also gonna we've got a show in the bag essentially tomorrow. Most of it. We're gonna I gotta show up for five minutes, talk about the game, and then we uh, we pitch over to our our canned interview, as they say, pre canned in the trade. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the Christmas show on Wednesday. Yeah, big week. And then we'll uh, we'll preview Week 16 on Thursday. Then we'll mm-hmm. celebrate Christmas and and the whole thing. Then we're out. Easy. Yeah. We, uh, just a programming note. Next Monday, a week. From today, at this very time, I will not be doing the podcast. No. Nor will you. Excellent. Um, we're going to have Christmas morning with our children, and then um, we'll do the podcast on the 26th. So next week, the Week 16 Review Podcast will be coming at you on Tuesday, the 26th, on Boxing Day, Sam. Boxing Day. And not on Christmas Day. Day. Because we also have um, three days on Christmas, too. Because the NFL. Games. Three games. What did I say? Days. Three games on Christmas. Whatever. Three games on Christmas because the NFL doesn't want us to have any time with our family. No. Whatsoever. The supercomputer that does the, uh, the schedule, you know? Ah, this used to be done by a bunch of people and take weeks. Now it's done by Amazon and their, you know, AWS and a giant Cray supercomputer. And it's the best schedule ever. Supercomputer doesn't have family. Certainly does not. The no. supercomputer's uh, secret power is, uh, is their free time. <laughs> if yes, at a football game. Yes. So that's where we are. Um, so anyway, yeah, next Tuesday... We will be doing the review show. All right, we ready to go here? Yeah. Gave people some uh, some time to get into the chat. So we got to start with... Wow, look at that. With Saturdays... Nobody even knew you were doing that to them. Just suckered them right in. Just giving them some time. Let's start with the Saturday triple header. Triple header. Now, remember, got to be quick here. A lot of games to cover. Got to be quick. Full slate. Um, started Saturday at 1 o'clock. Cincinnati Bengals 27. Minnesota Vikings 24. Bengals moved to 8-6. Vikings fall to 7-7. Seven and seven. This game went to overtime 
It was one of the more exciting games you could expect. I know we keep joking about, hey, Jake Browning as a backup. Dude's playing some some pretty good football. It was a little up and down in this game, but Browning has played great these last few weeks. But Jake Browning versus Nick Mullins, a game where both QBs were creating outside of structure and making some big plays or giving their their playmakers some opportunities to make big plays. A um, couple crazy interceptions from Nick Mullins, including one of the craziest of all time. Your thoughts here on this uh, 27-24 Bengals victory on Saturday? Absolutely one of the most remarkable interceptions the game has ever seen. Uh, tries to just throw the ball blindly out of his grasp as he's on the way down and ends up throwing it right into the face of the guy trying to tackle him. Uh, that itself would have been quite remarkable if the ball just like ricocheted from B.J. Hill's face mask into his hands. But it didn't just do that. It ricocheted face mask back into Nick Mullins' backside and then back into uh, B.J. Hill's hands, and then he sort of spooned it upwards and had to, like, dive and retrieve it again. So it ended up being like a, a, a butt pick, but, th- but from the quarterback point of view. We've had the butt pick before where it landed on the, the buttocks of uh, Marshawn Lattimore right. and was intercepted by Marshawn Lattimore. This was one where a guy threw an interception off his own ass. You don't often see that. You don't. I mean, if you've been with the PFF NFL podcast for at least five or six years, you remember the butt pick. Right. Matt Ryan threw it. Mm. Very unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Um, this, was a, this was a different one here for Jake. This uh, was very Nick unfortunate Mullins. as well, but, but self-inflicted. It was. This was self-inflicted. Uh, so, yeah, it was a, like I said, it was, a, it was a really fun back and forth game. I mean, Nick Mullins. I'd forgotten that this is the Nick Mullins revenge game. To go with a Jake Browning revenge game. Sorry, the Jake, the Jake Browning revenge. revenge game, yeah. yeah, Jake Browning revenge game. Um, he was with the Vikings uh, his, in his first team in the NFL, like undrafted free agent, signed with Minnesota. Yeah. You see the video clip of him like, you never should have cut me. I did. I, I have to say. He's like the only person in the building that even remembers he was with the Vikings. Everyone else just like, what? Yeah. He's, he's mad at us? Why? That's like me getting mad at the Brewers and the Giants <laughs> and the Mariners. Like imagine me being mad at the Mariners. I was there. All the teams that cut you. I was there for 40 days or so. Yeah. Like, eat that, Mariners. Look at me now. You just there, like, Ray Finkel and, and Dan Marino, except with, yeah. like, half the MLB. I don't see any other Mariners podcasting about the <laughs> NFL at 7 a.m. on a Monday for two and a half hours. Huh? Look at me now, Mariners. I mean, in hindsight, had I known that Jake Browning had that level of spite. Right. Had I known it's that an that was variable. deep down in him, I would have predicted more greatness for him. And mm-hmm. I think we're seeing that come out. Certainly in this game. It's an important variable. Like, do you understand yeah. quite how much this means to that individual over there that nobody is thinking about? Like, this means, this matters to him. I apologize to Jake for not knowing his transaction history, but the same way uh, Amonra St. Brown has his list of the 15 receivers or whatever that were drafted mm-hmm. ahead of him. Does Jake Brown have, Browning have a... 31 other teams? Like, this was the... This is the 15 times I shuttled back and forth between practice squad and the team. Like, I don't know what his uh, history is. I don't think he did much shuttling. I think it was just the Vikings had him for a while and then cut him. Yeah. And now he's, he's with the Bengals. It's a great story. Like, again, you never know how to go, you know. I feel bad because I feel like if we were podcasting in 1999, I would be sitting here doubting Kurt Warner the entire season. Like, oh, he can't keep this up. He right. can't keep this up. He can't keep this up. And before you know it, it's like, I've got 42 touchdowns and an MVP and I'm going to the, win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Right? I don't know when to stop. No, it's, you know? I, I think that's a reasonable thing, though. Like, we know, we've seen it so many times. Like, one game, two games, three games, it's all kind of meaningless. Guys can have those runs and then a flip, uh, a switch flips and they're back to being whoever the hell they were before that. On the other hand, at some point, every single player 
that comes out of nowhere and plays really well from the get-go is going to have that run, right? And at some point, you cross over between this is too small a sample size, it means nothing, to actually, you know what, it is for real. And I think the problem is a lot of people want to jump on that immediately, right? Like the shouty show thing, the, the one week, whatever the last thing we saw is, that's what we're going with today. Like those guys will, it's, it's, they will always seem like they're first because they'll think that way with everything, right? Like no matter who it was, oh, he was amazing this week, therefore he's the next Kurt Warner. But yeah, but most people will therefore the next week be crappy and it won't, it's not real. But at some point there is that crossover line where actually this is legit, this isn't going away. And, like, who knows where it is for Jake Browning, but he basically had, what, one rough start the very first game they threw him in there against Pittsburgh. Yep. And since then he's had three good games, one of which was outstanding. And even in this game, this was a weird one because he had a— 17-3 to three going into the fourth quarter, by the way. Yes. Because I want Big comeback, 14-point yeah. comeback. Like, the Vikings had this game in hand, um, and it was a, a big comeback. He also— missed a touchdown early to Charlie Jones where he had a total coverage yes. bust by the Vikings defense. Charlie Jones running free, and he just overthrew it, couldn't get it into his hand. So he, and he had a bad interception in, this, in there as well. So he'd, like, missed some throws, had a bad play, and then when Spite was on the line late in the game, needing a 14-point comeback, he ends up getting it done. Yeah, he hits T. Higgins in the back of the end zone for a 13-yard touchdown. And then they come back, Joe Mixon scores, so they, they make it, it goes to 17-17. But then, this is what I'm saying, it goes back and forth. Nick Mullins leads the potential go-ahead, or the, leads the go-ahead touchdown drive. They, Vikings go up 24-17. to And then it's Browning to Higgins for 21 yards in the box score. But what an incredible play as Jake Browning throws basically a jump ball that looked like it was going to two defenders before T. Higgins yeah. reverses course, goes up and gets it, catches it, and extends for the 21-yard touchdown. This weekend in particular seemed to be one where there were an awful lot of like prayer balls thrown by quarterbacks that ended up turning into amazing plays because of the receiver at the other end. This was a great example of that. There were a few plays in this game where Browning kind of gets out of pressure and just heaves one up and somebody goes to make a play, none more spectacular than this T. Higgins one. This was an all-time great play by T. Higgins. Now, maybe it's like Saturday in week 15 in an NFL season. It's like, eh, like the situation isn't amazing, right? But in terms of what he actually did, and in the game situation, he goes up and absolutely mosses a guy who had position on that football, took it away from him, got his feet in, which is the first part that you don't even think about. He got two feet down on the sideline, which itself was notable. And then whilst falling over the sideline, one-handed just swings the ball back behind his, his back and extends it over the goal line. Like, you hear offensive players say, never extend the ball over the goal line because if you fumble it, it's a bad thing. He does it, like, backwards while falling out of bounds. Unreal absolutely ridiculous play to end up scoring a touchdown yeah it was an incredible play because he's got yeah full body control and he's got he's already has great length and and just used every inch of it in that on that play to uh to tie the game and then in overtime uh Bengals get the game winning field goal to win 27 to 24 um so many playoff implications here Bengals move to eight and six one of what five teams in the AFC now at eight and six and um Vikings fall to seven and seven. 
both still very much in the playoff mix, but this was, um, you know, for a Saturday afternoon at one o'clock game, pretty high leverage game. Um, right now, the Vikings at seven and seven tied with two other teams. They're the number six seed Bengals, also the number six seed in the AFC as of right now with all of the tiebreakers. Good. Yep. All right. Second game on Saturday. Let's get to that one first, and we'll talk about, well, we'll get through the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Indianapolis Colts 30, Pittsburgh Steelers 13. The Colts are also one of the 8-6 and six team uh, teams right now. But because of the Jags' loss on Sunday Night Football, we have a three-way tie atop the AFC South right now, including the Colts. Colts, Texans, and Jags are all now 8-6. and six. Glorious. The, uh, the Jags are still technically in first due to all the tiebreakers. The Colts are the number seven seed. Texans are the number eight seed at eight and six. We are ready for three weeks of just craziness trying to un- unpack this playoff situation. But a big, big win for the Colts. It didn't start good at all. The uh, Steelers got up 13 nothing with a uh, blocked punt setting up a, a short touchdown. But, man, this was it, man. The, the Colts just ran away with it after that. Mm-hmm. We got uh, Steve Kornacki on, on speed dial. Get him in here, break down the, the scenarios. We should get him on the pod for one day to just rattle them all off. Oh God, really? I think I think for maybe post Christmas week, a good show would be us throwing because I've joked about I should just read all the playoff scenarios yeah. as a show. But why would I do that when there's a guy who does that? So like we could just be like we'll show up, pitch it to Kornacki, let him go for an hour hmm. and read off every scenario. We could just leave and come back and then you yeah. know. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say there's a reason that's a joke, you know? I don't know if that would make that great would, podcasting. No. I, have, uh, I have a new pet peeve, Sam, that oh, yeah? I was tweeting through last night. The teams that we're talking about, make, you know, clinching like, uh, in, in competition for the number one seed, mm-hmm. every social media team is just rolling out there. 49ers clinched graphics. Like, it's week 15. We know they're going to the playoffs. They're battling for the number one seed. No, we're celebrating the teams clinching the playoffs right here in week 15. The, the Ravens clinched a playoff spot last night. It's big news. It's big news. Yeah. I, the ones that were... We don't celebrate expected accomplishments, <laughs> is what I like to say. Okay, Roy Keane. Um, the ones that are kind of annoying to me is where it's like Dallas gets wrecked and then in the midst of other you know, games, clinch, clinch, a clinch a playoff spot. And it's like, well, number one, we knew that anyway. Like... Of course they were making the playoffs. And number two, they, they just got destroyed. It's not like it's not the time to talk about it. Yeah. You know? Well, I'm not going on the rant right now. I'm just saying a little pet peeve. Okay. Uh, nice game by Gardner Minshew here. Another not-so-great game by Mitch Trubisky on the other side. Awful. For it's, the Steelers. Word. Um, kind of got benched at the end, I yep. guess, by Mason, Mason uh, Rudolph. For Mason Rudolph. I think Rudolph will end up having to start next week. I don't think Kenny Pickett's ready. They were, yeah. yeah, so Tomlin was sort of saying they've been asking about him. They've been asking about Pickett's timeline heading into this game, and he basically was like, "I'm not even thinking about that going into this game. Ask me after, type of thing." And then it was like, "After, it's like, well, what about now?" Uh, so they were sort of saying, "There's a chance he can go this week, but it is probably a week of Mason Rudolph, which you know, it's Christmas. It's fitting. It should be Rudolph at Christmas." Frankly, Rudolph. even if Pickett was healthy, it should be Rudolph at Christmas. Got to go with Rudolph. Right. I mean, who else is going to lead the Steelers through this darkness of a three-game stretch, three-game losing streak against bad teams? And well, they, and two they, against bad teams. And because of this game, Tomlin now needs to go 2-1 and one to finish the season to save his record of never having a losing season come what may. 
What do they have here? They have it's to not to- easy. It's Cincinnati at home, then it's at Seattle, and then it's at Baltimore. They need two out of those three to go stretch. their way to save that record. Um, this was ugly by the Steelers. Like, did, did you see that video yes. of uh, George Pickens? I mean, the lack of effort across the board from this Pittsburgh team, which, by the way, it's not like, you know, the, the Jets' defense has had some plays this year where there's a lack of effort. You're like, I get it, you know? Their season went up in smoke after four snaps this year. It makes sense for that unit to be like, I'm done with this in week 15 when their offense stinks every single week and to just be like, forget this. The Steelers are in playoff contention. Like, they are somehow in in good standing despite the team not actually being that great. Why have they got players not giving 100% effort? Like, the, the kind of – the way this receiver room in particular – keeps losing um, heart and stopping playing. Like Deontay Johnson, George Pickens now, Chase Claypool before that. I mean, the whole thing obviously sort of goes back to Antonio Brown when he finally unspooled. But, like, it's amazing the group of players that they have that this seems to keep coming back with. I don't know if there was this idea that the Steelers can just draft any wide receiver and they come good. Like, if they actually specifically target these guys that are potential attitude problems they should probably stop doing that because it seems like it's actually starting to become a problem now well we had that listener before the sh- before the season theorized was it like is tomlin right. reading these guys or is he finding these guys first and like keeping them in line for a certain amount of time and then he just you lose control but if part of the magic in in this drafting strategy is you know we can target guys in the second or third round that other teams will be passing on because they're like a pain in the ass like, well, there's a reason they're a pain in the ass or there's a reason other teams are passing on them and you appear to be experiencing that at the moment. So while George Pickens is immeasurably talented, like if you can't stop him going five minutes before he throws his toys out of the pram and, you know, goes off in a sulk on the sideline, you're going to have a problem. Yeah, I mean, I think just as problematic for me was the the first interception by, um, by Mitchell Trubisky. I was, you know, I mentioned on social media the other day, like, I know the Steelers were up 13-7. to Trubisky basically throws a jump ball to George Pickens against a safety, hmm. right? That, to me, that's always not a good decision, but it's not a turnover-worthy play decision. Like when we it, – it's a, you know, George Pickens should I win mean, that. There's he not, gets bodied right. at the catch point by Nick Cross for an interception. There's not a huge amount of difference between that and the T. Higgins catch, you know, where Jake Browning throws up a pair. A, a Caleb Evans is in better position than the safety to go win that. There's not. That is – for me, I, I don't know what we ended up grading the Browning throw, but for me, those are essentially zero throws. Right, they're comparable. I, I joke about those being not 50-50 balls. They're about 20-80 balls historically. But if you have a Higgins or you have a Pickens, there's there's probably a higher you know, success rate. And so that ball should not turn into an interception more times than not, right? And it did. And so that's just as problematic for me as the the George Pickens I mean, so effort level. Last year... George Pickens caught 68% of his contested catches, right? This year, it's 29%. Like, for a guy who is sort of billed as contested catch hero, spectacular catch guy, sideline wonder, not necessarily going to separate as well as some other receivers, you cannot catch 29% of your contested targets. Now, that's a wildly 
volatile number, right? Which is why we always talk, don't lean on that as your first selling point of a guy. But if you are only catching 29% of your contested targets in a given season, as that skill set, you're having a bad year. And that's what George Pickens is having right now. Um, want to give full credit to the Colts' defensive line. Again. Yes. They, they pressured Trubisky on, I think it was 50% of his dropbacks. And it felt like it. But they also had several other quick wins that didn't become pressures. Again, that'll show up in their, in their grading. So just from a um, – it goes both ways. The, the Steelers' pass protection grade is one of the worst we've seen this entire season. The Colts' pass rush grade was 90.1. DeForest Buckner, uh, Samson Ebicam. I mean, those guys got after it. Lots of quick pressures. Ebby came with seven total pressures, a couple sacks. Um, Dio Odiyingbo got in there on 20 rushes, had uh, three times that he tackled Mitch Trubisky. I don't know how many official sacks he had. Three three by our numbers. Uh, really impressive job by this Colts defensive line. And Gardner Minshew played a pretty clean game. Yeah. He's going to be interesting, too, because he's another guy that we always talked about the turn of worthy plays earlier this year. That was never really how Minshew played. At least not that level of not bad. Not that extreme, yeah. Right. So I think Minshew is actually – he should continue to get better. You know, and even though he they were technically producing and winning with him not playing at a high level earlier in the year. So Colts remain uh, feisty and intriguing here. Also, breakout game for Trey Sermon yeah. on the ground. Huge for game Colts. for Trey Sermon. Uh, big part of them just sort of running the game out uh, for a lot of it. And then Najee Harris had one of those games where – you know the you know the play that everybody hates where you freeze frame it. You're like, oh, this running back has terrible vision. Look at this snapshot of a wide open space over the here. The one I saw was actually right yeah. yeah, and it was video, which makes it worse. Like you actually see the play develop, and you're like, yeah. I don't I don't have a good excuse for this. <laughs> like a lot of those running back plays, even if it looks really bad in a in a snapshot, you can see why the running back ignored what seems to be a giant gap and instead had it into the teeth of hell Najee Harris actually ran towards the leverage of the defensive lineman and away from the leverage of his blocker that was opening up a giant yawning chasm of space off left guard I think I I mean if that's if you're at that level right now you are broken as a running back like you're yeah. not seeing it whether or not you can get it back I don't know but you can, you're not seeing it right now and that's what like that's how you get to 12 carries for 33 yards i don't know how many people remember the trent richardson yeah screenshot that everybody was that was going around that was like 10 years ago right but if they do that was like the wrong thing right because people are suggesting he cuts back on power and that he would have actually run into two defenders it was like the wrong thing to screenshot the Najee play that you're talking about cutting back into um the leverage was was not good even if i mean ironically the trent uh, richardson thing was sort of indicatively correct right like he did yeah it was just that it was was the wrong not on that play yes absolutely um so yeah good win by the colts and um not great by the steelers they started seven and four man and they're over at seven and seven right now say they now need to go two and one against three pretty decent teams to save tomlin's record I will talk Broncos, Lions here in a minute. But first, as a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family, how to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies, plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online 
and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, wrapping up the triple header on Saturday. Detroit Lions 42, Denver Broncos 17. Lions move to 10-4. and four. Broncos fall to 7-7, seven and seven, another one of those teams. In that mix, in that uh, range, they're tied with the Steelers. For the 10-11 seeds, they're in the AFC. But the Lions, you know, big big bounce back for them. They'd had a, a rough loss last week against the Chicago Bears. But um, it's a weird year with those types of games, right, Sam, where a lot of good teams are just laying an egg. But for the most part, they will bounce back mm. and, and, and play well. And that's what the Lions did. Really owned the line of scrimmage, dominated up front. Really clean game for Jared Goff. He ends up with 278 passing yards and five touchdowns on just 34 attempts. Uh, the Lions, you say this a lot. I mean, the Niners are the clear when they're on, they're the best team. But like yeah. when the Lions are on, it is pretty special what they can do. Yeah, and it's not even like... You know, they're, they're not like Dallas earlier in the year where they have a clear trend of they only beat bad teams or they only do well at home or in a dome or whatever it is. The Lions, when you look at their losses, right? Okay, on the road against Chicago, Justin Fields, that's one of those ones that sort of makes sense as a potential trap game for any team. Um, the Ravens game, though, was at home, right? Uh, sorry, the Ravens game was on the road, but the Seahawks game was at home. Like yeah. that and then the, the Packers game on Thanksgiving again that was at home like so the, even some of their losses don't make a ton of sense but I've been meaning to bring this up for a while that the Lions were on this run of they don't leave they don't go outdoors until the playoffs again so if you're looking at this team and saying this is not a team tremendously well set up to go outdoors in December and you know get the the tough ugly weather games well they don't have to anymore so if you're saying this is a, a flat track type of team, they need the dome, they need the, the speed, they need the good weather, they're going to get it all the way until postseason football play. And this was another one of those um, games, and this was them at their best. You know, Jameer Gibbs making plays. Like, Gibbs started to look like he was justifying the top overall or the top first-round draft pick. The moment they stopped, they dropped the pretense of, like, offensive gimmick and just played him as a running back. And he said, hey, he's really fast and explosive, and if we have a good offensive line and a good offense overall, if we just give this guy touches, he'll make plays. Yeah, but I think, um, you know, I tweeted this out the other day too, highest yards per carry since week seven. It's Jalen Warren and then Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery. Right. I think there's something to the two-headed monster of Jameer Gibbs and sure. David Montgomery. And I'll, I'll repeat too, it's not as simple as, I, I like that the Lions aren't justifying Gibbs by giving him 20, 25 carries. And I, I will also say, whatever, I said this a few weeks back, whatever the Titans thought they were going to be five or six years ago when they said, we're going to have exotic smash mouth, which sounded great on paper. We're going to have all different types of run concepts. We're just going to win up front. We're going to have explosive plays and power plays. We're going to run downhill and run outside. This is the Lions. What an incredible running game. I mean, even just the wrinkles that they add to their outside zone blocking scheme. I, it felt like nothing, not taking any credit away from Gibbs or Montgomery, but there were so many times, usually on the outside blocking scheme, 
you're going to, you hit the outside path and you're usually cutting downhill, right? Because most of the time the front side doesn't have the cleanest uh, block blocking pattern. They're, they're usually playing, the defense is setting it up for you to cut back essentially most of the time on an outside zone play. And, and, and that's fine. That's what it's designed to do. I've never seen so many plays where the running back just stayed on his initial path mm. because the front side was wide open. <clears throat> and then when you get Gibbs into the open field, yeah, he is a playmaker. And David Montgomery has become a more explosive, bigger play type of back than he has been in the past. So it's, it's really incredible. And the other stat that I dug up is Panay Sewell at right tackle, 93-plus run blocking grade so far this year. That's on pace. Remember, Trent Williams broke the record for a tackle in 2021. Penesul has the second best grade we've seen since 2009 from a run blocking perspective. Uh, I mean, I'm just, I know the Lions have had some, some just rough losses over the last month, month and a half. But man, when they are on, it is hashtag fun to watch because that run game is explosive. And then the pass game and everything that they're able to do schematically. Amonra St. Brown had a, had a huge game. Sam Laporta had three touchdowns. He continues to be an incredible find. Um, and you're right about Gibbs, man. I will – look, the Lions drafted, I think, four really good football players, including Gibbs at 12. I am willing to rethink the whole running back thing in the first round in certain situations, but also in situations where I'm at least getting an explosive playmaker, where it's a Gibbs. I think Bijan Robinson would put up these types of numbers, right, if they did get Bijan rather than Gibbs in the first round, you know, which they were tempted to do, I think, where they were picking – so, man, I'm just real impressed with the Lions, especially when, when everything's clicking. They are, they are really tough to stop. Yeah, they are. Um, do you remember last year they had a game, was it against the Vikings, where it felt like Ben Johnson was just a step ahead of the defensive coordinator for the entire game? You know, every single thing he did was one step ahead, and the, the Vikings were never able to counter, and they were just getting like, boom, shot to the right, boom, shot to Like, they just kept walking into each punch. This was one of those games this year. Like, from step one, the Lions and Ben Johnson, from a play-calling and schematic point of view, were just ahead of Denver, and Denver never got back and recovered. Uh, everything they were doing was just setting up the next shot, and they never, they were never able to counter it. Um, and it was, it was, <laughs> there was a point in the sideline where uh, Sean Payton is just screaming at Russell Wilson, and it felt like an entire game's worth of frustration like, this wasn't one thing that Russell Wilson screwed up. This is just like, we are getting wrecked from play number one in this game, and I am taking it out on you individually right now. Like, that's, that's what happened. It's also one of those games when you talk about a whole season, and do you, do you focus on recent trends, or does the whole season of data matter? Because the Broncos have been two different defenses this entire season, right? But... Does the, the early season mishaps, how as bad as they were, do those matter in the grand scheme of it? This was like a this is a throwback to the first five six weeks of the season when the Broncos were historically bad defense. They just got wrecked, uh, really on both sides of the ball here. So um, impressive win by the Lions. They moved to ten and four. Didn't realize they have this funky end of the season schedule where they have to play the Vikings two out of the next three weeks and with the with the Dallas Cowboys sandwiched in between. So the ten and four Lions. Uh, creeping even closer to a division title. First one since 1993. I think if they beat the Vikings, that should clinch it, right, this weekend? I would think. We'll talk about all the clinching scenarios, though, on the On the Kornacki show. show. Uh, man, Kornacki. 
that's what we'll do on the Thursday show. We'll cut to him with all the scenarios going forward, the clinching scenarios, not just the breakdown of where people are right now. All right, that was Saturday. Let's get to the Sunday games here. Where do we start? Let's get some of these out of the way here. Maybe the blowouts. Uh, Miami Dolphins, 30. New York Jets, nothing. Uh, Dolphins move to 10-4. and four. Jets fall to 5-9. and nine. Uh, Miami had this one early and often. Zach Wilson fumble on a sack set up an early touchdown, and Miami didn't look back here. Yeah, and with no Tyreek Hill as well. Um, like, that's a reasonably big statement from Miami's point of view is that they were able to do it without, you know, a guy that had been chasing 2,000 yards. Uh, Against the Jets' defense. Yeah. There's something to that. Um, good fodder for Tua fans, then good fodder for the wit out. Mm. Uh, I think they need, like, so as long as they have one of Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddell, I think that offense is is fine and able to function the way it does at its best. If they lose both of them, which they, they threaten to do in this game, uh, Jalen Waddell had a play earlier where he got cracked and let, had to leave the game. It's like, uh-oh, now if you don't have Tyreek Hill already and you've just lost Jalen uh, Waddell, that might be a problem, but then he comes back and you're yeah. still good. Um, so, yeah, once you've got one of those guys, he just steps into the Tyreek Hill role. He's probably as close an analog as you're going to find to Tyreek Hill in the NFL. So it still functions. Like, he's still lightning quick. He can make all those kind of cuts. Maybe you're you're losing a slight percentage at the top end of where Tyreek Hill can do that only he can do. But Waddle's a pretty close uh, replica of that so it still functions yeah and that's what makes the Dolphins offense special or potentially special when they're both on the field trying to cover both guys I mean it it also helps like to his lightning quick release and everything that he brings to the table it works better because those guys get into their route so quickly I think we were talking about this the other day like Tua can release it even quicker because they're getting into their breaks quicker and he's seeing space I mean he was he was on today other than basically two throws, almost overthrew a screen that still got caught, threw one that easily could have been a pick six near the end of the half, too, that got dropped. But other than that, 22 of 25 for Tua for 247, um, including – I'm sorry, his official numbers, 21 of 24 for 224, um, including that 60-yard touchdown to Waddle, just a dime mm-hmm. on that bomb. Um, and that was really – that was it, man. I mean, Waddle finishes with 142 – of two is 224 passing yards in this game. Um, run game actually didn't do a whole lot for Miami. Um, on the other side, though, the Jets could not do anything offensively. Zach Wilson dropped back 16 times. This is crazy. Dropped back 16 times. He was under pressure 12 of the 16 dropbacks. And four of them were sacks, including that strip sack. And it was one of those, like, I thought the Jets' game plan was fine. They kept trying to run play action. They kept trying to slow down the rush. Every time Zach Wilson completed the fake handoff, dolphin in his face. Yeah. Every single time. Um, so Wilson, and he left with a, did they call it a head injury or officially a concussion? They called it a head injury that wasn't a concussion, weirdly. Um, like they were, they were clear in the distinction of he's not in the concussion protocol. It is a head injury, but not a concussion. Okay. So I don't know what left. that is. Yeah, Wilson finishes 4 of 11 for 26 yards, sacked four times. Trevor Simeon comes in, wasn't much better. Um, so, yeah, dominant outing by the Dolphins' defense. And honestly, I mean, I guess Robert Sala, I didn't hear the quotes, but he was blaming the offensive line, and it's tough to tough to not point at the offensive line again yeah. for the Jets because they just could not block. 
Yeah, but it wasn't just the line. See, this is the thing. Like, the line is bad, and it gets whooped one-on-one regularly. But the play where they forced a fumble on Zach Wilson and Miami gets set up at, like, the one-yard line and punches it in a couple of plays later for a touchdown, like, that's a complete and total protection breakdown, which, generally speaking, those are not on the offensive line. When somebody's wide the hell open and free, there's often a quarterback problem in there as well. Not necessarily. Not I mean, necessarily. Either but way. Like this, there's... this was not like where one – I don't think this was a case of one offensive lineman picking the wrong assignment and suddenly this – like total breakdown, wide open guy in the backfield, rusher, on the quarterback, forces a fumble. So in addition to the line being terrible on an individual level, it's also bad on a holistic you know, protection level. They're not getting the right protections in place even if they were able to hold up on a one-on-one basis. So it's a catastrophe. Yeah, I mean, it's just bad across the board for the Jets. Um, not much else to say here. I got no more use for this game except for what's going to happen coming up for the Dolphins. Their last three weeks of the season, they're sitting here at 10-4. and four, And um, like the Ravens, they're two teams who control their own destiny. So if, they, if the Dolphins win out, they're the number one seed. If the Ravens win out, they're the number one seed. That's true because they play each other. The Dolphins' schedule over the next three weeks, they've got the Cowboys at home, then they're at Baltimore, and then they're home against the Bills. And, man, for a team like the Dolphins, where you look back at their schedule and say, okay, where is the – they're 10-4, and four, but where are the wins against good teams? You know, they lost to Buffalo by a lot, lost to the Eagles, um, lost to Titans in that weird heartbreaker. It was a good bounce back by them, by the way, um, after the Monday night heartbreaker six days earlier. And they also lost to the Chiefs. So you're looking for the Dolphins to win against a good team? Well, they got three chances here. Cowboys, Ravens, and Bills to finish the schedule. 10-4 and four Dolphins. I'm assuming Tyree Kill's back maybe for next week. He was I close. I would think so, yeah. Um, but, man, it's going to be a fun fun finish to the season, I think, for the Dolphins. Do you see there was a play where – what the hell is his name now? Robbie Chosen? Uh, yes. Lined up offsides in a Kadarius Tony tribute act. And the sideline judge – was like running two yards onto the field to try and get him the hell off the line. Like, in, you know, the Kadarius Tony at least looked towards the sideline and gave the signal, even if he then looked back and ignored whatever was coming back from the sideline. Robbie didn't even look, just sort of lined up off sides. The side judge is like, dude, back, 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 nothing. He's like runs two yards onto the field. It's like off the line and still not. I just thought that was in contrast to the, you know, how much should you expect from the side judge in terms of trying to get players on side? That guy went out of his way to get Robbie Chosen back on side, and it still didn't make much still difference. Still not listening. Yeah. All right, let's stay in the AFC here. Kansas City Chiefs 27, New England Patriots 17. Chiefs moved to 9-5. and five. Patriots fall to 3-11. and 11. Uh, It was a little back-and-forth game early. Patriots maybe with a little scare for the Chiefs. You know, they it was uh, seven to seven. Patrick uh, Patrick Mahomes throws an interception in his own territory. Patriots go up ten to seven, but then uh, Bailey Zappi came back through his own interception in his own territory. Chiefs uh, defense kind of cracked down for the rest of the game there. Um, of course, the story coming out of this too, when the Chiefs were up twenty-seven to ten and trying to run the clock out, another Kadarius Tony drop right on his hands. That goes for an interception, leads to one more Patriots touchdown to make it 27 to 17. Mahomes visibly frustrated again at the end mm. of the game. So stat line was gonna be nice for Mahomes, but the second interception 
brings it down a notch, but still, yeah, very clean game for Mahomes and uh, Chiefs offense. Uh, pretty good passing attack outside of the two interceptions. Yeah, well, so this was a game where the Chiefs offense was kind of the same as the Chiefs offense has been all season long. Constant mistakes throughout every skill position player not named Patrick Mahomes, right? So you've got the Kadarius Tony thing, which Kadarius Tony is now becoming like a cartoon. That was so absurd. Like, standard Kadarius Tony, little route uh, to get wide the hell open, ball put in his hands, and then just like ridiculous drop that not only, <laughs> not just a drop, but you somehow drop it and then bounce it up in the air and it lands right in the hands of a defender. Like, that man is now becoming like Wiley e. Coyote in a football uniform. Like, every single play is just an anvil landing on his head. It's ridiculous. And Mahomes livid. But there was a drop touchdown by Travis Kelsey. There was the, like, the first play of the game was like a chunk play to Noah Gray negated by penalty. The Chiefs just could not get out of their own way again. And yet, it, it, like, they were good enough that it didn't matter because, you know, Bailey Zappi has a terrible interception. The Patriots are just bad enough that it's, you know, it was, it was going to be a win anyway. But this was the Chiefs. It's the same story. It didn't change. Like, even though they won this game and it was relatively comfortable, this is still a game that's like, dude, this can't happen in the playoffs against the best teams because it's going to be a problem. Yeah, for like the last three or four weeks, Mahomes, I think, has played better than he did earlier in the year. And the st- I mean, look, in this game, he's 27 of 37, 305, two touchdowns, two picks, passer rating of 92.7. EPA was, was mediocre because those interceptions, right? Um, he's played better these last few weeks, far better than the stats have shown. Uh, remember last year we had a lot of Chiefs fans very mad at us because, you know, PFF can't capture Mahomes' greatness. They can't capture all of the, uh, the incredible stats that he puts up. Well, they're coming back. Chiefs fans are going to come back. They're going to come running back to PFF now as they try to justify, and, it's, and it is justifiable, <laughs> that Mahomes is playing far better than his stats would show. And as a team, you're absolutely right, Sam. I mean, they – they won't win in the playoffs if they play like this. And I don't know if – it's not all just drops. It is – it's penalties. They've had – they had a couple offensive pass interferences. I mean, there's just a lot of things going wrong in this game for the Chiefs, and they still win by 10. Um, and again, I mean, the Patriots' offense is not good, and they probably should have only scored 10 until they were handed that short field. But the Chiefs' defense has been excellent for the majority of the season, and um, the one – I think one of the weaknesses for the Chiefs has been that run defense where they have some teams that can kind of run on them and grind it out, and, and they, they played well in this game outside of a, the late touchdown run by Kevin Harris. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those games that doesn't teach you a lot of new information mm. as far as the Chiefs go, other than, man, they still, they're running out of time to clean things up offensively where it feels like they won't be able to play this type of ball if they run into the Ravens or the Bills again. Yeah, and they keep, you know, making that point that, the the guys in the building are capable of turning this around and the fact that travis kelsey by the way is now one of these players making the mistakes is possibly a concerning development like it's one thing of kelsey and mahomes you know keeping the course and it's just everybody else that needs to get their shit together like Kadarius tony but rasheed rice continues to fumble the ball which is his one weakness on the season uh, okay he got back on top of the one that came out this time and it was a good sort of helmet on the football type of thing but Rasheed Rice has had a fumbling problem this season Travis Kelsey you know dropped a touchdown where he I think felt a hit incoming from Kyle Duggar and sort of 
I don't know, just bailed on it essentially, didn't didn't come down with that ball. But Kelsey needs to make all the plays to come his way because other people aren't. And if Kelsey's now adding to that by not making those plays, there was also the weird play where he kind of pushed off and then flopped in the end zone where if you just stood up, like the ball's coming to you, why you flop? Like, yeah. okay, maybe you might get the pass interference call, but you would have get the touchdown if you just stayed on your feet and caught the football. I, I don't – I mean, the whole thing is just wrong. The one somewhat controversial play in this game, there was a play where um, Sky Moore fumbled mm-hmm. and it got negated by an illegal contact. I didn't see that penalty. As in I didn't see – There was no penalty. Right. So it's one of those games, again, if you're, you're a, almost a 10-point underdog – in New England, the only way they're going to pull that off is by those types of turnovers and plays or the Chiefs just making all the mistakes that you mentioned. Once that got negated, it was like, all right, this is done. I mean, the Chiefs are just too good for New England to be able to come back here. It was one of those plays where I didn't see the penalty. I saw the replay of what they were claiming the penalty was on, but I also didn't spend enough time looking to see if it was somewhere else and they just called the wrong number. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you see a replay and it's been called on number 24. And they're like, here, look at this, number 24. This is nothing wrong with this play. But actually, if you look over there, it's the guy they it's actually else, called yeah. it on. They just called the wrong number, and that's a clear penalty. So I didn't see if this was a play where there was a clear uh, illegal contact somewhere else in the, in the set. Uh, but certainly what they were claiming the penalty was on should not have been a penalty. All right, so Chiefs 9-5, and five, uh, no longer just a game ahead in the AFC West. It's now two games. And uh, the Chiefs still have a path to the number one seed because they don't have, I mean, they have the Raiders, Raiders, Bengals, and Chargers over the next three weeks. Ravens have to play the Niners, have to play the Dolphins, the two teams ahead of them have to, you know, they have, they're playing each other. Like the Chiefs still have a chance at the bye here if they take care of business, despite all of the issues this year. Um, New England uh, locked into that number two overall pick and with Carolina's loss maybe still has a chance at number one overall Mahomes by the way must be like reaching the end of his tether at this point in terms of like what am I supposed to do to get these guys not doing this like the Sky Moore play Mahomes is right up to Sky Moore after that play to be like you know don't worry it's it's okay it's not gonna count look there's a defensive penalty it's like yeah but it was still awful (laughs) like don't do that and then I, I wish there was a lip reader out there with the there's a shot of Mahomes like right in his face as he hits the sideline, goes on the bench, and it, after the Kadarius Tony play, I don't know exactly what he says, but he's like, "I just something that guy." Like it's like the dude is. I don't know what more I can do to make these to give these guys the opportunities to not to make plays and not screw up, and it just keeps happening. Like it's not like they're completely devoid of talent, this group. You know, Travis Kelsey is still Kelsey. Kadarius Toney is capable of making spectacular plays. Rasheed Rice looks like a great, talented rookie. They just need to stop making mistakes, all of them. I mean, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but if the Chiefs, again, if the Chiefs hadn't won the Super Bowl last year, I, had, I was a little wrong. I was a little wrong because I thought that they invested – too much in the offensive line and less in the playmaker situation. This is the year that people thought they would have last year. If you flipped the Chiefs' seasons last year and this year, it would make more sense. Right. Last year was so clean from start to finish for the Chiefs, including all the way through the playoffs. And again, the difference in the playmakers last year to this year is literally just Juju Smith-Schuster for Rasheed Rice. And Rice has been good, Uh, even even though he's not as productive as Juju was last year. 
But it's all the same guys. It was right. just Marcos Valdez Scantling's not playing as well. Travis Kelsey may have, may have lost something right in in another year of age, and you didn't get development from Sky Moore. You didn't get development from some of the other guys you were hoping for, and you lost McCall Hardman and then brought him back. But it's not that much of a difference from a personnel standpoint. But the point I made two years ago was if the knowing what the Patriots dynasty was for twenty years, if the Chiefs are going to have a Patriots like dynasty, the only thing that slowed New England down was years where their playmaker situation was horrendous, pretty much. That was it. So don't let that happen, was my advice at the time. And it felt like they got through it last year with a great offensive line and good, not great playmakers because Mahomes played great, elevated those guys. But I wonder if this actually does trigger the Chiefs to be like, just like they did with the offensive line two years ago, never again, never again. And this is a year they're going after T. Higgins or Mike Evans or – uh, two draft picks or whatever it might be. I wonder if the if this actually ends up becoming the impetus for the Chiefs to say, okay, never again. We're actually going to flood the field with playmakers again in the Mahomes era. So our live fact checker, Ben, is trying to bounce back and redeem himself from feeding us misinformation previously. He has found a screenshot of the defensive holding call on the Sky Moore fumble play uh, where a DB clearly does hold. Alex oh, okay. Austin has hold of the guy's jersey and is pulling it back at the break, which I believe was the other side of the formation from the replay they were showing from memory. So it does look like a clear hold, or at least it's the kind of hold that will be called, right? Like the Super Bowl one with James Bradbury, where once you see the angle where the jersey comes away, it's it's going to get called. So legit holding penalty, even if the replay... Faux outrage then. Choice on TV no was questionable. We're good. All right, let's move on to uh, Cleveland Browns. 20. Chicago Bears 17. Browns move to 9 and 5. Bears fall to 5 and 9. What a what a crazy game this one was. First Browns win while trailing by 10 leading into the fourth quarter since 2014. Bears were up 17 to 7 and uh Joe Flacco magic, man. Joe Flacco magic. Yeah. Uh early on the uh Bears got up 7-0. It was 7-7. Joe Flacco throws a ball over the middle of the field. Your guy, TJ Edwards, absolutely pops. Cedric Tillman, ball bounces up into Tremaine Edmonds' hands, brings it back for a pick six. That put the Bears up a score. Again, they were up 17-7 going into the fourth, but it was a full Flacco game, man. A couple turnover-worthy plays, four to be exact, but also three big-time throws, including 51-yarder for Amari Cooper, to Amari Cooper to tie it, and... uh, 36 seconds left, game-winning field goal for the Browns to salvage this one and go to 9-5. and five. Yeah, and so it was like, remember, one of the things you said going into this game is, can Joe Flacco just avoid the critical, awful turnover that he tends to have every now and again? Because uh, if he does, you know, the, the, he, the rest of his game is good enough that they tend to win with that defense. Well, early, he had like a ridiculous interception. Like, all right, there it is. It's out of the way. Done. We're still in good position. You know, the game's not got away from us, and Flacco's had his terrible mistakes, so we're probably good from this point on. Then he had multiple more terrible mistakes. You're like, okay, you can't do this. Like, this is going to be a problem if you're playing at this kind of level. And yet it was still okay because he was able to make enough plays and, you know, the, everybody else made enough plays that he still overcame multiple catastrophic mistakes from Joe Flacco. Uh, and the game ends up, you know, coming down to the, the wire. So Flacco... I. I it was very old school Flacco. Multiple turnover worthy plays, some big time throws. Um, he got strip sacked by Montez Sweat really late in the down. And then 
in the comeback attempt, while they're down seven, just kind of floats one in the red zone to David Njoku. Tyreek Stevenson picks it off. Uh, he had another pick that on just a little hitch route that could have been a pick six that got dropped. I mean, some of the bad plays by Flacco were horrendous. But he also hits an absolute bomb to Marquise Goodwin, hits David Njoku on a big rollout. And again, the Amari Cooper one, he threads the needle about 25, 30 yards down the field. And then Cooper, you know, catches it, defense is out of position. Uh, Cooper turns it into the 51-yard game-winning touchdown. And then, you know, the final drive, David Njoku just takes over. He had yeah. he had 86 – Njoku has 86 yards in the fourth quarter, 65 of which came on back-to-back plays on that game-winning drive where he just – I mean, there's a coverage bust in there by the Bears too, but, man, Njoku just kind of takes over. I love that he starts leaping over people and the defense is leaping with he, him now. He's become the player that – he was a really highly touted draft pick you know incredible athlete huge frame talented ball skills all this kind of stuff and it never quite happened for him earlier in his career he's become that player now like it's taken a while for him to warm up and get going but this year's version of david njoku is the is the prospect is like read every scouting report on him this is the player it's describing now um, and he's been spectacular. He's been a big part of a lot of wins this season. Amari Cooper making plays as well. This was a weird game for Justin Fields where the, the difference between the Bears winning and losing this game is receivers letting down Justin Fields. On the other hand, he didn't actually play that well overall. Like he had a couple of spectacular plays, most of which the receivers screwed him out of, right? Like he had an absolute bomb early in the game. Got out of some pressure, got to right field, lofts. Great throw. Just a beautiful throw. Not only was it well uh, thrown in terms of it was accurate, but he put so much air under it to and for it to be accurate. Like he lofted that thing with touch deep down the field to ensure that his receiver had every chance in the world to come down with it. Didn't. Um, he had one nice play as well, like his touchdown to Cole Komet, where he gets out and probably gets out of a Miles Garrett sack you know, rolls to the left, fires a dart, touchdown. That was one where his receiver actually did catch the ball and, and make up it's for a it. beautiful play. And at the end where, okay, it's a Hail Mary. His part in it is essentially luck. It's like just get it into the end zone and then hope it bounces your way. But he did. He got it into the end zone, the, and then it gets deflected down, lands in the hands of Darnell Mooney, who doesn't catch it. And, like, either one of those plays, if somebody catches the ball where Justin Fields put it into his hands – the Bears probably win this game. Yeah, I mean, the, he had two interceptions, both on Hail Marys in this game. Right. The final Hail Mary from Fields, though, it tipped. Mooney was on the ground. It kind of lands in his lap. I mean, it's it one of those. in his hands. It's I mean, one of those he's, that's he's in on the slow floor. motion. It's like, how do you not? But, you know, that's not easy. But it, I don't know. That That's one of, like, he's. That's literally why he's there, right? It's somebody, the, the pile, the, the collection of people all going up to high point of the ball. The defensive side of this is trying to bat it down and forwards right into the area where Darno Mooney is there going to be waiting for a rebound catch. It lands not just like in his lap, but in his general vague vicinity. It lands in his hands. And he then, like in the course of sort of panicking and trying to like squeeze it, launches it skywards and, and doesn't end up catching it. I mean, yes, it's not as easy as a ball coming directly to you that he dropped earlier in the game, but it is why you're there. Like, that's the play. It couldn't have bounced any nicer for him than that. Um, I had something else I'm going to add there. 
Yeah, Fields kind of had an up and down game. Oh, the this was the this is the key to the game, man. Like the Bears' offense just didn't do anything. It was just another dominant game by the Browns' defense overall. We got lucky by the Bob Tunyon drop on that pass that you were talking about. But after Sorry, Bob Tunyon was the first one, right? That was the first one. Yes. Yeah. After the the Flacco interception again, this is late in the third quarter, where it's like, all right, Flacco's already got multiple turnover worthy plays throws another one they're down 10 it's like all right this this isn't going to work the bears after that interception go punt their their next few drives punt turnover on downs punt 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 and then the hail mary interception so the browns defense as much as anything deserves credit or the bears offense deserves blame however you want to look at that for for this comeback browns defense really cracking down another great game by miles garrett he's going to finish with Double-digit pressures, even though he didn't actually hit fields. A lot of quick wins again, and uh, forcing incompletions and the whole deal. So Garrett up front, Dalvin Tomlinson had a big game rushing the passer. Just another incredible effort, I think, overall by this Browns defense. Yeah, Browns defense was spectacular. Um, they they rode their luck in terms of Joe Flacco making way more mistakes than he usually does. But the thing that the thing that late era Joe Flacco does now is he's able to put himself on that kind of Josh Allen spectrum of even when I make a bunch of terrible mistakes I'm going to keep swinging and maybe we'll make enough positive plays to you know overcome the big mistakes like the Browns are you know they're they're capable of making the playoffs almost regardless of how Flacco plays the way they're capable of winning playoff games is if he has those clean games where he just instead of two or three glaring errors he makes none like if they have a game like that, they're very difficult to beat. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be real interesting if the Browns. I keep thinking that they need to sneak in. I mean, they they have a game on on the other wild card hopefuls. Yeah. In the AFC, so I don't know what the playoff are, odds are for the Browns, but they play against the Texans, Jets, and Bengals over these next few weeks. That Texans game at Houston is going to be massive when it comes to playoff impl- implications this week, Christmas Eve. Um, but yeah, if the Browns get in, if they get into the playoffs, that defense going up against whether it's a Baltimore or a Kansas City or you know one of those division winners, man, that could be that could sneak an upset. Yeah, come playoff time. If they get a clean Joe Flacco game in the playoffs, they are very difficult out because that defense is nasty and the playmakers are good and the offensive line is still pretty good even though they're banged up and you know down all of their tackles. It, it's a difficult team to beat if Flacco doesn't screw it up. All right, man, that's a big win for the Browns, Bears. I mean, I, I think Bears fans are in this crosshair of, like, they're rooting for wins. They kind of want to see the team show life and give you something to look forward to next year since it's the Panthers pick that matters a little bit more. But now they're they're back in, like, the number five spot, I think, their actual pick. So they're mm-hmm. in that we can grab a Caleb Williams and a tackle or elite receiver type of spot yeah though imagine how bummed they were that carolina got a win yesterday like <laughs> that 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 number one pick got a bit more they, precarious they could be could be losing it a little bit hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
got your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's talk about our friends over at Prize Picks. We've got a lineup for tonight. It's Monday Night Football. It's the Seahawks and the Eagles. DK Metcalf is on the slate here. 61.5 receiving yards. We're going more than 61.5 for DK. We're going more than 47.5 rushing yards for Ken Walker. And then we've got to get the kicker involved. Jake Elliott going more than 1.5 field goals made. Our friend producer Eli putting this together. We're getting close, Sam. We're getting close to uh, to mopping up here on Prize Picks. That's the Prize Picks lineup for PFF for today. Prize Picks is the largest daily fantasy sports. That's DFS platform in North America. Easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's it's just it's just you against the numbers. You pick more, you pick less. That's it. That easy. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more more than or less than on two to six player stat projections. See, we just took the three. And then you just, you know, watch the winnings roll right in. Uh, Want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can do that in the community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries of some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community every single week. Of course, Prize Picks also offers a reboot policy so the entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured for football and basketball games. Even if you have a player that exits the game in the first half, doesn't return in the second half, that player is rebooted. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy so here's what you do go to prizepicks.com slash pffnfl use code pffnfl for a first deposit match up to 100 dollars. once again that's prizepicks.com slash pffnfl use code pffnfl for a first deposit match up to 100 dollars. so we got our lineup for the week we've needed that injury insurance policy before we need to you know have that in play just like other people might and uh, it's pretty easy. Doesn't sound like that would have helped Eli this week. What were his results? Uh, he says it? Jamar Chase got injured and missed by 0.5. So that's, that's a tough break. Uh, he says Debo was never close and Kyron cashed. So he got one out of three. Oh, well, this week's going to be better. This Monday night game is going to be better. DK Metcalf, Ken Walker, Jake Elliott, more on all of their prize picks projections. That's what's happening tonight. I feel it. Okay. All right, let's go to, uh, speaking of Carolina. Who? Carolina 9, Falcons 7. <laughs> Panthers move to 2-12, and 12, Falcons fall to 6-8. and eight. I really have just two plays to discuss. Ah, perfect. Well, then game. I can, so I have a few, this week, there were a few metaphors that jumped to top of mind, right? There was the, the Kadarius Tony as Wiley Coyote in a football uniform. This game... So not only is it the, the Falcons versus the Panthers, it's already kind of miserable just from a, a best-case scenario kind of outlook. You get there, you turn it on, and it's like lashing rain, gray, overcast. You know, like, you know seasonal affective disorder where people just get sad because it's winter and it's gray and miserable out? This, was, this game was seasonal affective disorder in, in NFL football form, right? You just turn it on and you're just like bummed out immediately. You don't even have to see anything happen. You turn on this game, it's slightly overcast looking anyway. It's gray, it's raining. You're like, ugh, this game is just miserable. And it stayed miserable for the entire game. It was and, just. And then they played the game. Yeah, it was just depressing from start to finish. And you're like, even though Carolina ends up sneaking it out and getting a win, you're like, I, this, I felt nothing. I just felt drained and depressed watching this game from start to finish. It was ugly. Yeah. Seasonal defective disorder. That was this game. <laughs> that's, all, that's all we got. 
Sad. I mean, the, the two plays that decided the game. Perfect. Were the Falcons' mistakes. Okay. They're up 7-3. to three. And they fumble An at their own seven to three lead. They're up seven to three, and they fumble at their own twenty. Yeah, that's late in ideal. the third quarter, right? So that hands the Panthers a field goal. So now it's seven to six, and then they Falcons drive back into the red zone, and once again, Desmond Ritter with a terrible red zone interception, rolling to his left. Throws it back. I don't know who he was throwing to besides the Panthers. Mm. So they're up 7-6. to six. I mean, at the very least, try to kick a field goal, make it 10-6, to six, make the Panthers, you know, score a touchdown. Something they haven't done in this game. <laughs> something they didn't do in this game. Instead, Ritter throws a red zone interception, which um, he's had a knack for this season. The disastrous. It's not a great knack to have. No. The disastrous turnover at the wrong time of the game so that took points off the board obviously for atlanta and then um for all the conditions and everything bryce young he threw some of those old school uh late career peyton manning you know kind of wobblers that got there yeah you know in the conditions but bryce young threw a couple he did a beautiful throw along the sideline to dj chark who caught it and did a really nice job staying in bounds bryce young actually threw the ball pretty well on the comeback drive to get into field goal range, and then they they ran the clock out, kicked the game winning field goal to uh, to cap the nine and nine to seven win here. Yeah, it's a sad indictment of his rookie season that this was genuinely one of the best games of Bryce Young's career so far. Um, he played fine, I will say. So, like he he his average his average time to throw was three point three seconds, and it did feel like for much of this game, the Panthers' best game plan was to just hope that he bought enough time for there to be a defensive penalty in the secondary like if he just runs around behind the line of scrimmage eventually somebody will hold or have illegal contact and that's the way we move the football here because god knows we're not capable of actually doing it ourselves with the offensive personnel that we have it's i mean this is just, again sad it was miserable watching it it's like, okay every now and again he'll make a play and just about keep things alive but it was a 9-7 game and it felt like it that's basically the upshot here um, massive implications for the Falcons coming into the game. They were six and seven, tied atop the uh, NFC South with the Bucks and the Saints. And it's you know, look, the Falcons lost to the Bucks last week in another heartbreaker. Right, the last five quarters of football for the Falcons have dropped their playoff probability something like sixty-five, seventy percent down to like thirty. Um, it's been a disastrous five quarters for the Falcons, including yesterday's entire game. So they fall to six and eight. They're a game behind the Bucks and the Saints, and um, I don't know if the tiebreakers are going to be there to to help them in the end. Uh, Falcons looked like—I mean, I thought for most of the season the Falcons looked like the best team in the NFC South, but the quarterback situation, man, just just killing them. Panthers did a really nice job against the Falcons' run game. Tyler Algier and Bijan didn't get much going, but um, so credit the Panthers and their defense for that. But man. It's a tough one for the Falcons Mm -hmm. if they were going to sneak into the playoffs and try to steal the division. That's it. Yeah, no more use for that game. Thank God. Speaking of the NFC South, Tampa Bay Bucks thirty-four, Green Bay Packers twenty. Bucks moved to seven and seven. Um, The Saints. Spoiler alert: We'll talk about them later. But the Saints win, so they're both seven and seven. 
Um, but the Bucks have the tiebreaker in what? An incredible game for the Bucks passing attack. Baker Mayfield finishes 22 of 28 for 381, 13.6 yards per attempt, four touchdowns. And honestly, it felt like the only – Baker Mayfield also gets sacked five times. And it felt like the only thing that was slowing down the Bucks' offense were sacks. Because when Mayfield threw the ball, big plays were being created. I got some stats on that. I know Packers fans unhappy. And um, the question around Green Bay right now is Joe Barry, defensive coordinator, is he going to have a job by the end of the day here? Um, as good as this was by the Bucks' offense, I think it was as that bad for the Packers defense I think this boat goes both ways this was a horrendous defensive effort and a really incredible offensive effort by the Bucs Chris Godwin goes 10 catches for a buck 55 or shot white with another big game for the Bucs really impressive effort for Tampa Bay here yeah it was it took Baker Mayfield just three quarters to set his season high for yardage in the game I mean the Bucks offense was able to do pretty much what they wanted and Green Bay couldn't stop them at any point I mean I think I think we said on the preview show that generally this season, Joe Barry's defense hasn't been terrible overall, but they've been situationally terrible. You know, like with the game on the line late with a key drive, that's when they get crazy conservative and just sort of let make it too easy for the offense. I mean, this was a game where the entire game was too easy for the offense. Like this is the game that would, that's what you use if you want to get the guy fired. Like this game as evidence. This was a total disaster from a, a Green Bay defensive point of view. And it wasn't like they were completely, you know, absent individual impressive performances. Like they had some decent defenders overall, but it wasn't enough because the, the whole thing was just a catastrophe. So, yeah, miserable from a, a Green Bay defensive point of view. The only optimism or the only good things come out of this game from their side was their offense and their young players on that side yeah so the game again this was another one of those it was kind of back and forth um the the Packers came back within a score um really nice throw by Jordan Love to Jaden Reed to make it 20 to 17 Bucks come back and and you know so the Bucks had the lead they were tw- they're up 20 to 10 they both teams kind of trading touchdowns and field goals um but a great pass by Jordan Love to Jaden Reed to make it 20 to 17 but the uh, when the Bucks were up seven in the fourth quarter, and they have a chance, they're trying to you know run the clock, maybe you know one last score to to go up two scores late in the game here. And Baker Mayfield hits David Moore, the same David Moore from the Seattle Seahawks, of course, for years. His third catch of the season, I think it was, maybe a second on a little you know three four yard out, catches it and runs through the defense for a fifty two yard touchdown. Also, almost drops the ball at the goal line. Dude, just that- don't. Dude. That was almost one of the most egregious plays of the entire season. Like, he's there. He's a touchdown. Not only – like, it's one thing where you get a guy who's running and he just decides to drop the football as he's going over the goal line. That itself is idiotic. Moore reaches back to let it, let it be, like, knocked out of his hands. Like, you actually invited the guy to make a play that he had no business making and just about survived that he didn't – that you'd broken the plane of the goal line before the, the fumble happened. Like, I swear, I swear to God, if it didn't come at the end of making a spectacular play, I would cut a guy immediately for doing something that stupid. I can't believe – I mean, it shows up a couple times a year. I cannot believe people I are still doing that. I don't understand. 
I mean, Deshaun Jackson did it like five times in his career right. between college and the NFL. But like again, it's one thing if you're just you're running over the goal line, decide to drop the ball. Like he reached backwards to let a guy try and make a play. Like you actively went out of your way to make that happen. No, I would make uh, every single practice. I'd make everybody run the 10 yards of the end zone all the way through right you can only the ball only leaves your hands once you've cleared the dead ball line at the end Correct. of the end zone Correct. if you think about doing it before that you're getting you're running laps or whatever the nfl equivalent is anyway um that caps the incredible statistical outing for baker mayfield so coming into the game mayfield was 27th out of 34 qualifying qbs in completion percentage on 10 plus yard throws so coming into the game, 10-plus yard throws, Baker Mayfield was completing about 41% of his passes beyond 10 yards. In this game, he goes 10 of 11 for 204 in two touchdowns. It was, it was a great game by Mayfield. He was thrown in rhythm, very accurate, uh, excellent game by Mayfield. Again, though, I think we have to look at it from a Green Bay perspective as well. The defense was horrendous. We'll see if changes are coming there. Um, but, yeah – can't think of a much worse six-game stretch here, six-day stretch for the Packers. So Miami blew a terrible game on Monday Night Football, bounced back with their win, throw a pitch a shutout. The Packers have a fourth-quarter comeback to Tommy DeVito on Monday night and then give up 34 to the Bucs, who are averaging about 20 points per game coming into the game. And uh, I'll tell you what, Tampa Bay has overcome a midseason lull to now control the NFC South. They do have to play the Saints in a couple weeks that uh, will probably determine the division. The Bucks play the Jags. This The, the Bucks also have one more game against the Panthers. So here's the rest of their schedule. The Bucks last three games. They play Jacksonville on Christmas Eve. And now Trevor Lawrence is in concussion protocol. So it could be C.J. Beathard's Jags. Then they have the Saints. And then they have the Panthers again. The Bucks have a legitimate road to to win the division here, host a playoff game as um, NFC South champions. Uh, but really an impressive effort in Green Bay. It was the only – was it the only perfect passer rating by an, uh, a visiting quarterback in Lambeau history? Really? Yeah. 158.3 for Mayfield. 22 of 28 for 381 in those four touchdowns. Um, a couple of mentions for some of those young Green Bay offensive players, though, because that was the, the bright spot for them. Tucker Craft has had one of the most insane um, rapid development arcs I've seen from a young tight end, young player, period, I guess. Like, training camp and preseason, the difference between him and Luke Musgrave seemed insane. Like, Musgrave was this obvious move tight end, like, receiving talent, uh, looked more dynamic, obviously was a bigger part of the offense, like, had stuff designed for him, and... and Kraft didn't really look like anything. And it's like, well, this is why you double dip, right? Maybe it'll be the first guy that comes good. Maybe it'll be the second guy. But between the two, you're, you're fine. So Green Bay having one, like 50% hit rate seems fine. Now, Tucker Kraft has looked fantastic with this last few weeks of opportunity with Musgrave being out of the lineup. He's a very different tight end. Like he's much less, I think, dynamic with the ball in his hand or athletic. But as a more sort of conventional inline tight end, he's looked really good. His touchdown in this game, like it was a screen pass, and then he makes a nice move after the catch. He's looked really good. Um, but also, 
you know, Dontavian Wicks had a big game as well, and he's he's made a lot of his opportunities this year. Jaden Reed had that touchdown. Like this young group of receivers, when you consider they've been without Christian Watson and they're without Luke Musgrave, that that was good, even though their defense stank, so it didn't matter. Yeah, and I think Jordan Love played fine with those guys. I mean, it's there's a lot to be encouraged about with the Packers. It was just two weeks ago, though, we, maybe other people declared the Packers as the team you didn't want to play in the playoffs. Well, they were, yeah, the run. They were, they were playing so well. And the same Joe Barry defense shut down at Kansas City. Like, the, the Chiefs offense, I mean, I know they had Outside. drops and penalties, but the Chiefs offense scored 17 against them, and they shut down the Chiefs in a comeback attempt on Sunday Night Football. There's like 20 teams this year that I did I don't know what the hell they are. Like they go on these, the Packers, every team has a run where they aren't the team that they look like or they're not the team now that they were then. Like even the 49ers had a three-game losing skid, only one of which made any sense. Like the, the Cincinnati game when the Bengals were playing great. Right. That's the one where you're like, okay, fair enough. They just ran up against another really good team. But they lost the game to the Vikings. And who was the other team they dropped to? Browns. Right. What? And the Browns without quarterbacks. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, okay, you know, they, they were missing some players, but it was not all of them. Like, they still had a t- bunch of their best players out. Every team has got these weird games or these weird stretches of games where they look completely different this year. And it's why, when you know, you look at the standings and your playoff scenarios and stuff. Like, there's a bunch of teams that are going to be in the playoffs that, that at least for a stretch of this season looked awful. Yeah, I mean that's why teams that have in both in both conferences the th- number three seed has a chance at the number one seed, right? And the number five seed has a chance of not making the playoffs. I mean that's just where we are here with three weeks remaining. And you have all these games yesterday where they're talking about this team is now the eleven seed. You know, playoff the eleven. That's in. not a thing. There is no eleven seed. The eleven seed is you're just another team not in the playoffs. But you're in the hunt. Yeah. Hashtag in the hunt. All right, let's go. Staying in the NFC South, New Orleans Saints 24, New York Giants 6. Saints moved to 7-7, seven and seven, as I said. They're tied record-wise with the Bucks in the NFC South. The Giants fall to 5-9. Uh, Tommy DeVito magic runs out a little bit here. Mm. Uh, Derek Carr finishes 23-28 of 28 for 218. Three touchdowns, had a nice one up the seam to Juwan Johnson. And uh, somebody tweeted at me that I need to reference Jimmy Graham again as the catalyst in the red zone another red zone touchdown for Jimmy Graham Jimmy Graham has six catches this year four of which have gone for touchdowns and the other two of which have gone for first downs he is somehow they've turned Jimmy Graham into uh into tight end Mike Vrabel all he does is catch touchdowns or first downs in short yardage situations all of a sudden the Saints can win when they have uh when they have Jimmy Graham involved what else on this other than Tommy DeVito doesn't want to go uh, hang out at the local he Italian upped, uh, upped his fee. sub shops or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. You know, is the, is the hype getting to Tommy's head a little bit, you know? Is he getting is, – is this his Willie Beeman stage where he, the hype is getting to him? He's, he's busy doing his version of rap songs, right? Um, he's doubling his fee to appear at the Italian restaurant. His agent, I, by the way, right? Do you see him on the sideline in his, in his Italian-American Hall of Fame suit? Yes. I genuinely think we can get you into that Hall of Fame. Yeah, now, I'm an Italian-American. I can't and find— And I am not in the Italian-American Hall of Fame. I, I, I didn't know it existed. No, I, no, neither did I. And this is part of why I think we can get you in there. 
I can't find a list of the people that are in there, right? I, there doesn't appear to be a list of the Hall of Fame anywhere. But I did see this year's nominees, of which uh, I forget this guy's name, but Tommy DeVito's agent was one of them. Given that list of people, I feel like you're at least on the fringes of being in this Hall of Fame with your resume. As, That's- you know, are you the preeminent Italian-American NFL podcaster? I got to be close, right? I have to be close. I <laughs> and mean, you couple that with your obscure baseball career. I mean, you put that, to, you start building a case now. We've worked t- together over 10 years. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the nicest things you've ever said to me. <laughs> that you, uh, that, if, that you want to kind of start a campaign. I do. To get me into the, my dad would be very proud. Yeah. Loves, you know, loves a good Italian American. My dad. I want to see um, you in that suit aside from anything else. I was firing my resume over to you. I think, you know, if you add up. I was um, Division II preseason All-American. There you go. College baseball. You're in other halls, yeah. halls of fame. I mean, you could put that on the resume. I am a three-time Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. I uh, was a UMass Lowell intramural flag football champion in 2004. Right. And perhaps one of the preeminent Italian-American NFL podcasters who happens to partner with an Irishman. Exactly. I mean, these, these things, I think... I think the resume's stacking up. So look, of there are eight people that are in this inductee class. Now, I'm going to assume that this has been going for a while and that, like, Rocky Marciano is already in, you know? I would hope. Because the only person I've heard of from this list... First ballot, Rocky. Right. The only person I've heard of from this list, other than Sean Stellato, uh, Tommy's agent, is Giuseppe Rossi, who was, to be honest, a fairly underwhelming you know, soccer player who was talked up as having amazing potential and never really happened for him. But he, Rossi's in there this year. Good for him. Sean's in there as well. Good for him. But like other people here, we've, we've got, I mean, you told me that, was it bocce is, is a big thing? Big thing. Yeah. yeah. We've got some sort of bocce champion going in this year. Yeah. Well-deserved. I mean, we've got a guy who is listed. His, his achievement is former superintendent of the Chicago Park District. I'm sure he did great things for the Chicago. I'm Parks sure he did. Yes. But I also I, I have to think that your resume stacks up well against the Park District guy. The chat says Tommy's agent, Stellato. Yeah. Referenced Rocky Balboa as an influence. As an influence. Balboa, not Marciano. No. <laughs> like the fake character from from Philadelphia. Right. Anyway, my point. So this is the 44th annual. So 44. Okay. So if we've had 43 classes before, I figure we're quite deep into this, right? I think we can get you in. We need to start a campaign to get Palazzolo into the the National Italian-American Sports Hall of Fame. We need the ceremony next year. We need you in the green suit with the, the giant suit. patch, the Hall of Fame thing here, the giant green suit. You look like Elf. You th- It'll be amazing. <laughs> Might look like Elf on Wednesday right. on the show. Um, do you think they have custom suits for everybody or do you think they're just like off the shelf if it fits it fits i feel like you might have to go get your own suit made but i think it's worth it okay like i, mean, I feel I, like sean made not that. gonna lie i don't i wouldn't hate if um our listeners and viewers started a campaign and if you if you headed this thing up because i i feel like i need a fourth hall of fame in my life <laughs> i think i need a fourth one as a three-time hall Dude, of Famer. if 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 in december in mid-december 2024 if we are in Chicago or wherever this is next year, getting you inducted into the Italian American National <laughs> Italian American Sports Hall of Fame, maybe maybe Sean can be your like. Do you, I don't know if they have like an inductee, the guy that gives you you know 
from one Hall of Famer to another. He's right? my inspiration. That's what I'm saying. Sean is absolutely inspiring me. That if we have him in his shiny green suit, yeah. shaking your hand in your shiny green suit, I mean, this is content right here. We're doing it for the content. Uh, if, if there's anyone, I mean, because we have a lot of listeners, we have a billionaire that watches and commented on YouTube a couple of weeks ago. If you're involved in the Italian-American Hall of Fame, like, what do I have to do here? What do I have to do? Right, or you have the kind of money that can just make these things happen. Yeah, just make it happen. Right. Just make it happen. I'm not... I'm not. Somebody call to attention the, the resume that I've been, you know, spouting off here. Building, yeah. Um, one thing about the game. Oh, yeah. Um, by the way, we should cut that whole thing for a one-off and tag. <laughs> so what we need to do, social team, is that whole Steve for the Italian-American Hall of Fame, we'll cut that up. And throw it on social. Tag the necessary people. I wonder if my former teammate Chris Colabello is in. That guy loves loves being Italian. He's got to be in this Hall of Fame. Made it to the big leagues in his 30s. Played for the Italian World Baseball Classic team. He's got to be in at this point. And, uh, I mean, if Colabello could be in. The Italian, I was just checking. They do, in fact, have a Twitter page. The National Italian American Sports Hall of Fame. Let's tag them. They have 999 followers. They are followed by Dan Pompey, though. <laughs> this is great. Um, in this game, as I mentioned, Tommy DeVito sacked seven times. Dude, the, what uh, the heck? Phil Mickelson is in, the, is in this? Well, sometimes your mom's Italian, and it doesn't show in your last name. You don't have to have. I mean, Mike Piazza has to be in there. Okay, the resume does seem to get harsher the deeper you go. Joe Montana's in this, so it's not as easy to get into as it looked from the 44th class. What did Stiletto? Like, Stiletto, got, he got in before... He was on the sideline in the fedora talking on the phone. Right, he was already on his way in. Yeah, okay. The the deeper you go into history, the harder this appears to get in. But maybe they've re- maybe we've we've done it. Like we're all the decent like Italian American sports people are already in. So now yeah. now's your they're time. just filling out the classes. Right. Now. now it's your opportunity. Like Joe DiMaggio, Joe Montana, they're in. Yeah, we're good. We got every we got everybody that needs to get in. Right now it's your turn. I mean, they don't call it the Hall of Very Good, Sam. They but don't. You might need to fill in with some very good people. Um, I just wanted to touch on DeVito getting sacked seven times. Yeah, and that the was Saints. a problem in the game. Um, the Giants' offensive line. I mean, it, the most impressive thing about DeVito, I think, is that for three or four weeks, we kind of forgot about the Giants' offensive line yeah. being historically bad and an absolute train wreck. That's actually impressive by Tommy. This In this game, though, the Saints, anytime they stunted the Giants didn't block it. Mm. And then they even had plays where they kind of like set up. Sometimes you set up in a stunt type of uh, overload and you, they didn't stunt. And the Giants also didn't block that. So there was just a <laughs> lot of plays where the Giants offensive line um, did not block Saints. Yeah. And uh, that's my analysis there. And Con- uh, led to seven sacks. Conversely, you had the Saints offensive line, which has been very hit or miss, um, was virtually perfect from a pass blocking standpoint in this game. Um, the Giants' pass rush was not able to do anything against the, the Saints' offensive line. A large part of that was the ball was coming out pretty quickly. Like Derek Carr had one of those games where he looked very good, didn't make mistakes, put the ball more or less where he wanted to on multiple plays and got it out of his hands quickly. And the Giants just had no shot to affect that on defense. Like the what they were doing just wasn't having an impact whatsoever. Uh, the only guy I think that you would say – you know, you would expect to impact it would be Dexter Lawrence, but they just didn't give him an opportunity to. All right, so like I said, like I said, Saints seven and seven, Giants move to five and nine. Last of the one o'clock games, 
It was the Houston Texans 19, Tennessee Titans 16. Overtime win for the Texans. What a crazy game. Um, a lot of craziness in the very end of the game, in the fourth quarter and overtime. But the Titans got up 13 to nothing in this game. Case Keenum throws a pick six to Elijah Molden. It was a bit of a miscommunication. Looked like the Case Keenum... By the way, we thought Davis Mills was going to start. Yeah. Ends up being Case Keenum. Um, it looked like, hey, you know, Texans, backup quarterback, just not going to be their day in Tennessee. Um, but the Texans overcome the 13 to nothing deficit. It's 16 to 16. They go into overtime. Both teams, you know, looked like it could be a tie. Could have been the first tie of the season. I'm rooting against the ties because it ruins all the records and everything. It was good. There's no tie. Texans win with a 54-yard field goal to go to 8-6. and six. And as we said earlier in the show, Texans, Colts, and Jags all tied atop the AFC South with an 8-6 and six record. Yeah. Discuss. <laughs> the weird game from Case Keenum. Um, so, okay, there's a miscommunication for the pick six. Uh, there was a play, though, where Noah Brown had to turn, like, pass breakup. He had to turn DB to, pa- to pass breakup and interception from Roger McCreary on, like, a, not a, a comeback route on the sideline. There was another ridiculous, like, heave and hope pass where Dalton Schultz somehow takes it away from a DB to set up first and goal. Um, multiple throws where Keenum was just, like, heaving it up into coverage or gen- in the vague general direction of players, which, let's remember, that's how he had, like, the 2017 season for the Vikings, right? Eh, just put it up there. Stephon Diggs will go make a play. So it's not like it's not his M.O. normally. Um, and again, it, it came good. Like there's a, degree, there's a degree to which in the NFL, if you just give receivers a chance to make plays, they're going to make enough of them to make you look pretty good. And so you had that like general uh, disposition of Case Keenum versus the psychotic recklessness of Will Levis on the other side. It just made for a wild quarterback matchup. It really did. I mean, and then... There was a lot going on here. You mentioned to me yesterday, before we get into the overtime stuff, Derrick Henry finishes with 16 carries for nine yards. 16 for nine. I mean, the Texans' run defense, they were without Will Anderson, uh, played really well up front. Texans' defense, nice job against, I mean, the Titans' offensive line has not been great. Texans kind of imposed their will up front. Derrick Barnett, who they signed from the Eagles a few weeks ago, playing pretty well on 25, 30 snaps per game over the last couple weeks. Um, Jonathan Grenard has just been outstanding. You talk about a guy, what's he in year four, year five? I mean, just unbelievable breakout season for Grenard, who went from good to just very good this season. He had a nice game. Um, Texans defense just deserves a ton of credit on that side of the ball. Um, But, man, you get into – again, I want to talk about, like, the overtime craziness. Um, Because it looked like they had a walk-off win. Devin Singletary running through the defense. It gets uh, called back for a holding. Uh, But the controversy here, Sam, as we mentioned on the show, is the Titans wearing the Houston Oilers throwback. Mm. And this is kind of like deep-rooted between the two teams. You see Mike Vrabel pre-game had the Bum Phillips hat, the big cowboy hat on. I can't believe he didn't have that on the sideline. I was like, yes, yes, Mike Mike's there with the giant uh, Bum Phillips cowboy hat. You're like, to go with the Oilers thing, if he walks out there in a sheepskin and that hat, like, game over. We're done. We're winning this already. And then he's just out there on the sideline in, like, regular garb. That was just for, like, the preseason or the pregame. Do you think Vrabel wanted to do that? Or they're like, hey, man, 
you throw the hat on. I think if Vrabel wanted to do it, it would have been done. Nobody's yeah. stopping Vrabel from walking out there with a sheepskin and a giant cowboy hat on. No, but do you think he wanted to wear the cowboy hat? Or it was like, hey, you got to do this because we're wearing the throwbacks. Yeah, somebody probably, you know, said it. And then he was like, yeah, that sounds cool. And then as long as I don't have to do it for the game, we're okay. But I feel like if he'd walked out there with the full Bum Phillips getup, we wouldn't have needed overtime. We would have won this thing in the second quarter. There were three punts in overtime, which is why we thought we were, we were teasing a potential uh, tie in this game. It felt like every time, because teams, like, they move the ball a little. Both teams kind of move the ball a little bit. Yeah. Sacks. Just kept moving team, moving them backwards, both the Titans and the Texans. Again, this game was very close on both sides. Um, and then the very end of the game, it's, uh, it's Case Keenum hitting Devin Singletary for a 41-yard pass. Singletary, it looked like back-to-back plays or two out of three plays where Singletary goes 41 yards, and then two plays later, it would have been a 34-yard touchdown nullified by holding penalty down the field. And then, you know, one play later, they set up the – the 54-yard field goal to win it with two seconds left. Very close to a potential tie here. Um, but, man, a huge win for the Texans. Doing it with Case Keenum because C.J. Stroud's concussion, I'm assuming Stroud, is back next week mm-hmm. against the Browns. But, um, yeah, Houston still has the division potentially in sights here. They do, yeah. Um, it was another game where I was quite impressed by Levis, even though he's crazy. And there were some bad plays in there as well. Um, like I thought he battled back. He also, by the way, there were a few of these yesterday. Horrific-looking injuries that don't appear to be that bad. Like he looked, he had an injury that they wouldn't show on the broadcast because we're like, oh, this is terrible. And like, oh no, Levis is down. That's like the one. You they know, keep saying that. I know on a lot of plays. You're like, that's the one thing that's been that's the one bright spot for Tennessee this year. That would suck if he had. But apparently, he was. Not okay, but he was sort of limping around post-game and didn't sound like it was going to be that bad. Uh, so that would be huge for them if they were able to get Levis healthy out of this and it, it wasn't a, a major injury for him. Um, but that looked like it could have absolutely ruined their season. The other thing of note from this game, so there, t- one, there was a throw that Levis made on late in the game. Late Q4, 45 yes. seconds? I'm looking at no, it. No, not 45 seconds. Uh Third and six on that drive, I think, with like two minutes left, he targeted DeAndre Hopkins over the middle. And what I'm pretty sure was just like a clear-out route that wasn't supposed to be targeted because Hopkins doesn't want the ball. In fact, wasn't really looking for the ball. Turns around and it like hits him in the head. And then it was another one of those new Hopkins-Levis, you know, post-game discussion or post-snap discussions where Nuke like looks back at him and is like, what? what are you doing, right? But it would have been a first down if he'd been looking for it and caught the ball. I was I just recently read this story. Uh, it's old. I forget where it came from, but it was um, uh, who was the receiver that the Patriots signed along with Randy Moss? Dante Stallworth. So it was, it was Dante Stallworth ran just a random clear-out route in the offense, right? And then Brady threw him the ball. He's like, this is not. I've been in this. I've been in different offenses. Every team has this play. This is just a, like a decoy. It's a clear out. It's not part of the. It's not an option on the play, right? So he just ran at it like, uh, loafed it, right? Just ran like a seventy-five percent route, and Brady threw him the ball, and because of that, he didn't get to it. Went to the sideline, and McDaniel's came up to him and was like, "Hey, 
in this offense, every route is live. Like, you've got to run them because Brady will find you if you're open, right? And he was like, wow, that, you know, there's this epiphany that Brady's different. Well, you know, <laughs> this was open. Like, you may think it's only a clear out route, but it was, there was a window between two DBs in the mid, or def- two defenders in the middle of the field, and Levis put the ball there for what would have been a first down on a key game winning drive potentially yeah and you just didn't think it was an option so you didn't look for it so you just called will levis tom brady well i know in this world of like look 10-year veteran wide receiver versus crazy rookie quarterback you would tend to assume that the wide receiver was the guy that was in the right and that the quarterback was in the wrong whether or not he should have put the ball there he did and the receiver's got to catch it you've been you've taken to describing will levis's play style of play the same way that i describe wink martindale's defense crazy crazy yeah he's a lunatic in a good way you know in a way in a fun way <laughs> in a fun i mean it's crazy and you know mike vrabel said that he was like showing him cut-ups of quarterbacks getting killed to try and convince him to slide that also didn't work this yeah way. i mean if he did it, it had no impact because levis is still out there going levis copter on like first and 10 trying to pick up eight yards forget 10 <laughs> just trying to like it's it's insane it's fun to watch but it is crazy and it's probably going to injure him at some point. Man, it was, uh, yeah, game was nuts. But um, so Titans fall to five and nine. Texans eight and six. Again, tied atop the AFC South. And um, if they sneak in, the Texans feel like the team. I know, yeah, whatever. If they sneak into the playoffs, They're not the like you don't want to play them. <laughs> but they have the pieces to do damage. Yeah. They have the pieces to do, do damage in the playoffs. Even against some of the better teams in the AFC. So. so the other two things to mention in this game, just two, bo- two performances. Running back, Devin Singletary had a great game, even with that play that should have, could have been a walk-off but wasn't. Um, and then Derrick Henry had one of the weirdest box scores I've ever seen from a running back. Derrick Henry. I said it earlier. You weren't listening. 16 carries for nine yards, yeah. 27 of which came after contact. So he averaged like a negative yard before contact and then fought his way – to positive yardage over the course of 16 carries. Yeah. That's never happened to Derrick Henry before. The Titans didn't block well. No, their offensive line was terrible again. Pass blocking, run blocking, it was not good. Derrick Henry had negative 18 yards before contact. Yikes. We should check that. that that's got to be close to a record, if not a record. We should double check that, make sure it's right. Yeah, their offensive line Seems was wrong. terrible. Um, <laughs> Peter Skaronsky, who's like, as a rookie, probably their best offensive lineman, he didn't play terribly, but when he lost, it was ca- it was bad. There were some where he just Malik yeah. Collins got him two or three times where he just destroyed him, and it was kind of the only time it happened in the game for both sides. Like it was the only it was the only Malik Collins wins, and it was the only Skaronsky losses, but they were all really really bad. Yeah, I mean, I just last thing last thing I'll add about this game, Nick Casario and some of the moves he's made over the last couple of years, but like Denzel Perry. The, here are the big games grading-wise on the defense for the Texans. Denzel Perryman, Derek Barnett, who I mentioned, 34 snaps just off the waiver wire a couple weeks ago. Jalen Petrie, the second-round play, uh, second-year player. Christian Harris and Jonathan uh, Grenard, who I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. just doing a really nice job. Malik Collins, who you mentioned, had a bunch of big wins. All of those little pieces that have been added over the last couple of years, I think, starting to add up for the Texans, and they, they deserve credit for that, for what they've been able to do. And again, they did it without first-round pick Will Anderson yesterday. 
This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, man. Let's get to the 4 o'clocks. Are we getting to the 4 o'clocks? No, I'm going to tell you about our friends over at AG1 first. Before we get to the 4 o'clocks, it's our daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. We drink it every single day here on the PFF NFL podcast. I love it because, look, I kick my day off with my coffee and my AG1. Right there. You see it on the screen. Throw my water, throw my AG1 in there, shake it up, and I chug it down. And boom, got all my nutrients for the day. Makes me feel great. Gives me that same kind of kick that the, uh, the caffeine gives, except it's actually good for my body. It's actually healthy. Um, just like all great athletes, they have one thing in common. They take care of their bodies. Huge part of that starts with optimizing whole body health. And a lot of them also drink AG1. That's why I'm a huge fan. So with every daily serving, I'm setting myself up for success with the 75 high-quality ingredients that give me all the key daily nutrients to, to support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. It's all part of the routine here in the PFF NFL podcast. And this micro habit of drinking my AG1 delivers macro benefits that helps just about everybody take care of their health. Doesn't matter if you're an athlete, if you're going to the office, you're going to the gym, doesn't really matter. AG1's helping everybody here. So also love that it costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good if you ask me for this healthy choice that you're making. It's a really effective daily habit with the high quality sourced ingredients, a win-win for all of us here on the PFF NFL podcast. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with the first purchase. Sounds like a great deal to me. You go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1.com slash PFF. Go check it out right now. All right, San Francisco 49ers, 45 to what did Arizona have? 29? 29, 45-29. I had it, and then I clicked off of it. Another big game from Brock Purdy in the 49ers passing game. Brock Purdy, 16 of 25 for 242, four touchdowns, passer rating of 135.3, which is actually um, lower than his passer rating dating back to week 10, which is nuts. Krista uh, McCaffrey, 18 carries for 115 and a score. And I'll say this, Brock Purdy, now the favorite to win the MVP, and he's also the highest-graded quarterback since that three-game losing streak, since that bye week for the 49ers. Purdy, number one PFF grade since that point. We've mentioned it the last couple of weeks here on the show. Is it true that Brock Purdy probably had better stats than the way he was playing at some point in his career earlier in the year? Yes, that was true. But now he's also playing better football, and that's why the Niners do seem unstoppable on offense. Yeah. They're also playing the Cardinals. That's a part of it. Oh, okay. Well, they've done it against everybody. No, sure. Which is why in the preview show I said 12 and a half doesn't feel high enough. Yeah. And it, it wasn't. wasn't. Yeah. Game, Cardinals, so they the Cardinals scored first. Like, they, they went down the length of the field. They employed your strategy. Yeah, they scored a touchdown. And then they might have had a shot, except they then threw a pick six and you know, the, the game, you know. That, that eroded that strategy of getting a lead and forcing the 49ers to play from a double-point deficit and changing the entire dynamic, you know? They had a shot because they scored first, and then they couldn't back it up. Charvarius Ward jumps a Kyler Murray pass over the middle of the field, takes it 66 yards for 
the pick six. That put the Niners up 14-7. to And always credit the Cardinals. They battled back, battled back. They almost had a blocked punt for a touchdown that got called back, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they tried to hang close, but um, one Purdy play. So, again, it's 21-13 to going into the second half. So the Niners are only up eight. The Brock Purdy pass to Christian McCaffrey for a 41-yard touchdown. A couple things to break down here. Instant pressure up front, up the middle. Yeah. That Purdy does a very nice job of just getting out of the pocket. And then absolute coverage bust yes. by Arizona. A nice adjustment by Christian McCaffrey. He was wide open. Nobody within 20 yards. But one of those plays that looks easy, looks wide open, which it was. But Purdy has to make that with the instant pressure. And you always compare him to, like, what would Jimmy Garoppolo do? Jimmy Garoppolo may have just, you know, fallen over for a sack. <laughs> And so the offense still would have been really nice. Over it would have been a really good game by the 49ers. They would have won uh, by one touchdown or, you know, 10 points instead of 17 or 16. But on this time, Purdy created outside of structure and created this touchdown for 41 yards. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's a reasonable point. Um, these are – this is why the 49ers sort of conversation is so difficult because all of it's working. That's why they're – scoring 45 a game uh like Brock Purdy may end up having the best case for MVP like if you looked at some of the conventional numbers or the EPA per play like the ways some people measure this he's the clear MVP it's not even close I don't think that's true because of the impact that Shanahan and the rest of the offensive skill position players and yada yada have but I think he still may end up having the best case for MVP in a year where nobody has a clear obvious case like we're not there's no unanimous mvp this year there's no guy that's going to get 45 of the 50 votes or whatever first place votes it's going to be somebody with like 28 you know and it's going to be it might even be somebody now that they are doing the mvp vote in a sort of point system you know first second third place it might end up being a guy getting mvp who has fewer first place votes than somebody else which would be the first time that's happened and the internet will be set ablaze when that happens but I do think we're reaching a point where Purdy has a fairly strong case for MVP if only because nobody else does um and because he's improving like he is getting better as the season goes on he is making plays that are him not just the offense and then he has the plays that the offense produces as well and you add all that together and the 49ers become unstoppable and start hanging 40 on everybody and yada yada so yeah that's that's been true for a while I don't even think this was a pr- particularly good Purdy game. It's just that the Cardinals are, are kind of that bad on defense. It was good. It wasn't... Yeah, it was like, fine. It was good. But it's yeah, not it like... I mean, he's had games where he's actually been really, really good and you know, yeah. made the, a much bigger difference. The totality of his play... Here's what's changed, I think, from a, from a grading standpoint. Since Week 10, again, that was post-buy, post-Debo Samuel, Trent Williams injury. Um, since that point, just two turnover-worthy plays for Brock Purdy. I mean, that was the, if there was a thing that was bringing down his grade, it was that he would have a couple duds, right? He would have a couple bad plays, you know, throw the ball late into coverage or get away with, you know, pass that should have been picked or whatever it was, or fumble. He had a couple fumbles earlier in the season. He's cut down on just those, and the grading looks, looks much better. Plus, again, he's got far more big-time throws than we've seen in this offense in previous years. Done a really nice job. And then those out-of-structure plays, when you add it all up, it's – is everything working? Yeah. Like, if you're a Purdy detractor and you're like, the stats are fake, just watch the first touchdown that he throws to Debo Samuel, which is just wide open and yeah. easy. You could make the case for the McCaffrey touchdown, but 
again, he's got to kind of create that out of pressure. His biggest obstacle in terms of argument might be, number one, the, the fact that there's no clear MVP and no clear candidate. Christian McCaffrey has a good case as well. And his case is getting stronger as well. Like McCaffrey was unstoppable in this game, was great on the ground, had that play in the air as well. Um, McCaffrey's been incredibly good. And Debo Samuel is also a thing in this offense. And those, that three-game losing skid was when Debo wasn't in the lineup. And it's like you can make a case that actually Debo is the most important player in this entire offense, not McCaffrey, not Brock Purdy. I don't know that you'd be correct, but you could at least make the argument. All of that makes Brock Purdy's case harder to make when you're comparing it to players that you don't make that argument for. So anyway, it's been the same story. Like you add those guys all together in the same lineup and they become virtually impossible to stop. And this is kind of a good example of it. Like the Cardinals had some really good plays on defense and some good individual players like Antonio Hamilton made a bunch of plays early in the game. Starling Thomas made a really nice play. Um, they had a few defenders individually make some good plays, but over the course of 50 snaps or whatever, it wasn't enough because the 49ers are just too difficult to stop. One of the funnier things that happened in this game, uh, so Brock Purdy gets hurt. That wasn't funny. Glad no. he came back. I was a little worried at first that he, had, he got absolutely popped. Um, Purdy comes out. Sam Darnold comes in. Kind of throws a kind of throws a bad pass to George Kittle in coverage. Then the next pass, it's third and long or whatever, hits George Kittle right in the hands, drops it. And then a couple plays later, <laughs> Brock Purdy comes in and George Kittle makes a one-handed catch for Purdy. It was a nice throw by Purdy. It was just it was just funny to me. Right. Um, and of course, you know, I tweeted that out, and the responses were, "Well, Sam Darnold doesn't throw a catchable ball. He throws <laughs> it too hard. Too, he doesn't have any hard. touch on the ball. Yeah. I mean, he put the ball right on George Kittle." It was just funny. I always think that's funny when you get, you know, like running backs where it's a sort of there's a split workload in the backfield. And, and oftentimes one running back is seen as like this guy is a game changer. He's the guy we want more playing time and the other guy is just holding him up. And then you get like the back or either one guy goes in, you know, incredible hole, 10 yard gain, easy play. The next guy comes in and immediately like the offensive line just has a nightmare. There's three guys in his face, one yard behind the line of scrimmage. And everyone's like, see, the other guy should get all the carries. Like, dude, the second guy came in and immediately had nowhere to run to. Like, he didn't, didn't have the same picture to work from as the first guy. It was just funny that Darnold comes in, hits a wide-open George Kittle. He drops it, and then Kittle makes the one-handed catch for Brock. Um, anyway, number one graded quarterback since Week 10. It is Brock Purdy, and the numbers are out of this world and ludicrous. Hmm. And Walt, you're right. Trent Williams did not miss all three of the losses for the Niners. He missed two out of the three. He was there for the Browns' loss. Right. Debo missed three, though. Right? Debo missed all three. Trent Williams missed two out of the three. You're right. Walt in the chat. All right, let's go. Uh, Los Angeles Rams 28. Washington Commanders 20. Rams move to 7-7. Seven and seven. Commanders fall to 4-10. and ten. Uh, Matthew Stafford finishes 25 of 33 for 258. couple touchdowns. Kyron Williams with another 152 yards on the ground. So the Rams scored 28 points. It felt like, I mean, there was a point in this game where all they had done was score or fumble the ball away. That was out of their first six drives. Two touchdowns, two field goals, two fumble, fumbles, you know, losing the ball on a fumble by Kyron Williams. Um, felt like the Rams definitely could have put up 40 in this game. Yeah. 
Um, Kyron Williams has been insane <laughs> since coming into the lineup. And so this is that 2022 fifth-round draft pick who they just like stumbled upon randomly this year. It's like, oh, he's, he's actually amazing. We should use him all the time. Like Puka Nakua. Yeah. I mean, Kyron Williams, they showed the, the on-off splits for him, which are very noisy but fun to tell stories about. The Kyron Williams on-off, like when he's on the field, it's the Super Bowl Rams team. <laughs> when he's off the field, it's the 2022 Rams team, which was a disaster last year when nobody could block and nobody could catch and nobody could do anything. Yeah. I mean, this is still not a good offensive line, and yet he's averaging over five yards per carry this season. He's averaging three and a half yards after contact per carry. And he's not like a, it's not like we're talking about Derrick Henry, you know, giant 250 pound monster. Like he's 5'9, under 200 pounds. He's playing incredibly well. Uh, and it's amazing, actually, the strike rate that they have in this, in this low round drafting strategy of let's get 10 draft picks all between rounds three and seven. I'm almost, I can't wait to see what the Rams do this offseason because we were just um, talking about this last week. Um, did a video breaking down the Rams and discussing what the offseason might entail. They went, they reverted completely back from go for it to let's get, a, let's go the complete other extreme and be as young as it gets. I, but I wonder if they've added so much youth over the last couple of years now that they're getting this younger nucleus, they're going to feel good about that, and then go back to being aggressive this offseason and get those veterans in there. And I wonder how much of that strategy might coincide with the fact that the Niners look like an absolute powerhouse and have two more years of Brock Purdy. You know, the poor guy can, you know, barely make rent in the Bay Area right mm. now. And so they have, you know, the Niners have plenty of money to continue to spend on free agents. I wonder if the Rams go back to being crazy aggressive and say, all right, we're, we're hitting on day three picks. We got Kyron Williams. We got Puka Nakua. We got Kobe Turner. We got all these third to seventh rounders. Uh, we could either go with another draft class of 10 to 15, or we could start flipping picks again. They get their first first round picks since 2016. We'll have more about that in the offseason. I'm just fascinated by the Rams sitting here at seven and seven. I don't, you don't think they're a very good team, but. <laughs> I don't think 25 teams in the NFL is here very good. But they're Stafford, in, they're but in position. Stafford is dealing this year. Yeah. Cooper Cup, now granted, there's a 62 yard busted coverage in there that was horrendous by mm -hmm. Washington. Um, but Cooper Cup's starting to look more like Cooper Cup. Yep. They're unlocking Demarcus Robinson as this third option here. I mean, they're sneaky good here, the that, Rams. I just think the defense is just so hit or miss every single week. The Demarcus Robinson thing alone would keep me from would make me think that they're not a very good team. The Chiefs uh, could use a guy like Demarcus Robinson. For right? some reason, they get in the red zone and decide now's the time to feed the ball constantly towards Demarcus Robinson, not Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup. But all right. Um, no, look, they've got some, like, in a weird way, this is not that dissimilar from their Stars and Scrubs Super Bowl type teams in terms of it's not like it's a very good team overall, but they're very strong in the right areas, albeit instead of Robert Woods, right? It's, it's Puka Nakua. It's a rookie fifth-round pick doing it, right? So in that way, it's the same sort of strategy. It is fascinating, though, how they – like, what are their takeaways from the success they've had in the last couple of years of drafting? Because generally, we work on this assumption that nobody is better or worse at drafting than anybody else long term, right? Or at least nobody's good at it. Um, 
And the Rams have had this strategy of, okay, we're going to trade away all, our, all of our top picks to bring in established NFL stars, knowing that they will be good, and then we will just draft 10 times in the low rounds and hope that we hit enough of those to make it worth it. And they have. In fact, they've hit way more than enough of those to make it worth it. So do they use that to convince themselves that actually we're better at this than everybody else and we can just keep drafting this way and have a really good team? Or do they just sort of go, we got really lucky and now that's going to let us build the next Super Bowl team because we're only paying Puka Nakua $7 a year and, you know, we're not spending money on all these low-round picks that we hit on. Oh, they're going to be... There's a few teams that every single year I just can't wait to see what they're going to do. The Rams are up there again. Because, again, Stafford had another unbelievable game. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I wonder, you know, is he ever going to retire? Is he going to retire? Is he one of those guys that will retire a little bit younger than you expect? Because he's still young, but he's played a lot of football and taken a lot of hits. But if Stafford sticks around and Donald sticks around, I don't know. There's something there. Um, that said, Washington's bad. Sam Howell didn't play well. They brought in Jacoby Brissett, who looked good after Sam Howell, if you're, you know, Wit without splits not looking good for Sam Howell there who has um really regressed he has not looked great these last few weeks yeah yeah things have he's been he hasn't been playing as well as he did earlier in the year in fact like man they were the Sam Howell trajectory was pointed upwards and it was looking reasonably encouraging for a period of this season and ironically like he only got sacked one time yesterday like early in the year like if he could just stop getting sacked nine times a game we would really be onto something with Sam Howell well now he's, he only got sacked one time but he actually just played like crap and didn't do anything um so yeah that's a really unfortunate thing for Washington like obviously they're kind of kind of be rebuilding this year with the new ownership and they're probably going to clean house from a structural organizational point of view if they were able to come out of the season with Sam Howell looking like he was improving and being pretty good right away, they'd be in a quite encouraging place. But actually, that's kind of going off the rails, and it looks like they might still need a new quarterback. Yeah. I mean, they're going to be in position to maybe grab QB3 Yeah, if they want, which will be a decision, right? Is that Jaden Daniels? Jaden Daniels wasn't in that QB3 conversation at the beginning of the year, but moved himself in with a ridiculous heisman season and it always feels like that's just a just a worrying place to be you know we have the choice of qb3 yeah i don't know but in this class it might no i know but like but we're in this world where nobody has any idea who qb3 is at the moment like everyone's going to make their case for a different guy but the fact that that's where the inflection point is is itself a worry i think we have two clear number one and number two guys and then nobody has any idea who QB3 is. Now, you get your choice of who you think it is, but we know, or at least we think, there's a giant gap between one and two and three. Got people calling me uh, saying I'm using statistical malpractice by saying Brock Purdy is the number one QB since week 10. Yeah? Why? Because you used the arbitrary cutoff of week 10 or because you did something else wrong? The arbitrary cutoff. Okay. Got I mean, yeah. I mean, if you do something with it, I'm trying to paint the picture that, like, his play is starting to match the production. Yeah. And you're doing this? Live on the air. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, no more use for this game. Rams are 7-7, seven and seven, and that puts them as the number seven seed right now. Don't want to play the Rams in the playoffs. <laughs> I think you probably do, actually. Maybe you do. Yeah. Uh, so if the playoffs started today, they'd be going to Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, I think the Eagles would be comfortable with that, to be honest. <laughs> think they would yeah. as well 
All right, the other 4 o'clock game before we get into Sunday Night Football. Buffalo Bills 31, Dallas Cowboys 10. Have to say, I did not see this results coming. Thought we'd have a better game. Hmm. Bills move to 8-6. and six. Cowboys fall to 10-4. and four. I mean, the, obviously the biggest story about this game is James Cook going off. But not just James Cook. It was the entire Bills rushing attack. They scored 31 points, and Josh Allen completed seven passes. As the game went on, it was like, well, they're up, the Bills are up 21 to 3, and Josh Allen's completed five passes. That whole, you know, the balance of Josh Allen's supposed to be the guy that carries the team. He said after the game, this was like me doing a group project, and we got an A, and I didn't do any of the work. Complete opposite of the rest of the Josh Allen experience the last couple of years. Incredible effort by the Bills, their run game, and James Cook in particular. Yeah. Um, this was a really fascinating game where. You know, sometimes you talk about early in the game sort of determines how the game is going to go, whether you get the stop or whether you get those two touchdowns like the Cardinals and all this kind of thing. Very first drive. Um, Bills drive down, third and four, incomplete pass. Dallas stopped them in in the red zone. And the drive gets extended by a roughing the passer call on Josh Allen that frankly was bullshit. And for... Josh Allen now has one of the most extensive highlight reels of flopping of any NFL player in history. He's got a huge amount of them. And for a guy that is like, you know, later in the game, there's a play where Josh Allen is dragging like three different Dallas defenders on a carry. You can't be both those guys at the same time. You can't, on the one hand, drag multiple defenders for extra rushing yards. And on the other hand, somebody push me in the chest, ah, like faint backwards swoon like you're some sort of 18th century damsel in distress he does he flops the officials buy it like he goes down clutching his face mask like pointing to his head i got hit in the face you weren't anywhere like the guy was nowhere near your face he pushed you in the chest and not even egregiously late it shouldn't have been roughing the passer it was it extends the drive they score a touchdown and that essentially determines how this game is going to start if they have to settle for a field goal and instead you know dallas can stay where they are now the bills defense also played incredibly like they were aggressive they they started to get like multiple penalties for cracking Dak prescott in the head as he went sliding so it was just this interesting start of the game where an egregious flop by josh allen extends drive gives them a touchdown instead of a field goal their defense plays incredibly aggressive and gets a bunch of legitimate penalties. And between those two things, it kind of set this game on this pathway of the Bills are going to put up some points, have some set, have some success, and Dallas couldn't match them. I see you have breaking news that we can't talk about. Yeah. Great. So you probably shouldn't bring we'll that up. We'll reveal it later. That's good. No, it's good news. It's good news. It's good stuff. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm on record, Sam. We should penalize flopping. Yes. Penalize all of it. I also think Dak Prescott, did they pull one of those late hits on him on the slides? Because they only had one penalty, Buffalo. It felt like the only way Dallas was moving the ball is if Dak Prescott slid as late as possible and induced another hit. That stuff drives me crazy, too. I think it's just as bad as the flop. Waiting the last second, kind of getting in that half slide mode. Am I slide in? Am I like, what am I going to do? Am I still running? Am I slide in? Am I all the way down? Drives me crazy. Yeah. We didn't even get into the KZ hit earlier, thank goodness. But. That was the play Tom Brady's talking about. <coughs> yeah. Again, the whole You point, led your receiver into death. Your receiver almost got yeah. death. 
the whole the whole point Brady was trying to make again before Alex Smith went on his AFC East tirade mm. was that it's on the quarterback and the receiver to also protect themselves, not just the rules, not just the letter of the law. And and that one more quick, one more quick thing, because Cam Newton said a thing last week where he used the term game manager. And everybody attacked Cam Newton and said, well, these guys are better than you, Cam. Right? We, we're, we're, and so Brady says this thing. Off, you know, you need to protect the receivers. And everybody's like, well, well, you threw a guy. You overthrew guys over the middle, too. We're in this world where you, you can respond to the message without only attacking the messenger. And so just because Brady said we were taught to not overthrow guys over the middle and to protect them doesn't mean he didn't do it. Just because Cam said, hey, uh, Dak Prescott's a game manager. Like, I think Dak Prescott is better than Cam Newton other than one season. Like, I think that's true. But Cam Newton's allowed to have an opinion. We have this weird thing. You do this sometimes too. You're like, I don't want to listen to this backup quarterback because he was terrible. When it's like, it doesn't, like when somebody could look at you and be like, well, you were, you know, a, a Division II All-American in the Irish Football League, and why would I listen to you? Like, we can't downplay the quality of the messenger and that's what we focus on like talk about the message sam <laughs> there are times where the only times i say that is where there's a distinct lack of self-awareness when the guy is saying some things like he's railing against you know a specific thing by a starting quarterback without being aware of like who it is and what the career was that is delivering this message like for example alex smith going on a tirade about how Tom Brady was in this cakewalk of a division, you have to be aware that he's Tom Brady and you're Alex Smith when you're delivering that message as you're sat there next to Teddy Bruschi and Randy Moss. Like, how does that not... You know what I mean? That's where I think there should be at least an awareness of what you're saying. That's when I tend to go off on a rant about those people. It's not that, like, I would say... I would focus on that as opposed to the message, but, like... I think you should bring that up and be aware of who you are. The Cam Newton thing, what he said was plenty dumb enough to attack without focusing on Cam Newton or yeah. his outfit or it's, anything like that. Like, and his explanation, like he came back afterwards and gave like a, you know, a further, here's, here's my thoughts teased out of it. And that was contradictory and ridiculous. So the message itself was plenty ridiculous enough to just focus on without even criticizing the messenger he was trying to argue that actually being a game manager is a good thing and Tom Brady's a great game manager and Peyton Manning's a great game manager but then you're like but you can't like, you can't you can't on the one hand say it's a great thing because Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and yada are game managers on the other hand game changers are the ones that matter you're like well hang on that doesn't make any sense like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning clearly change games as well the whole thing was just contradictory yeah, I, bullshit. I agree. I mean, the whole term game manager and system quarterback because everybody has different interpretations of right. what they mean. And, and, and he, it's like, of course you want to run a system. Of course you want to manage the game. It's like, well, that's not what people are talking about. Like, we all have different d- definitions of and that. And he sort of waded into that as well, but then got himself lost when he started making the Tom Brady, Peyton Manning stuff. It's just, it, it right, was a nonsensical discussion by, by Cam Newton. We're pulling it back in here. Yes. James Cook was unbelievable in this game again. I mean, this was like uh, in, against the Chiefs. Early in the game, James Cook had um, an excellent game. They hit him up the seam with a touchdown, and then it seemed like they, they didn't go to him as much. They did. They, they He disappeared a little bit. But this was the game. We, we Sam, we this, this happens three or four times a year where we say when the coaches draw this thing up, we're going to establish the run. We're going to 
run the ball. Or when uh, people respond and it's like, you're running the ball. Why would you stop? Well, because if you just keep running the ball, like, you know, sometimes you, you get stopped. The Bills didn't get stopped. They just kept running it at seven yards a pop for James Cook in particular. Uh, and it started right on the first drive. I mean, they, were, they went for seven yards a pop on the first drive. Josh Allen only had a couple completions. And they kept going. It doesn't usually work this way, where at the end of the day, you have 266 yards on the ground, including kneel downs and everything. I mean, it was really more dominant than that. And Dallas had no answers yeah. for Buffalo's run game. So let me take a stab at, uh, at a bit of nuance here. Oh, so the, the game ends up, what was it, 31-10 or something like that? And it wasn't even that close. It was, it's essentially a 30-point victory, right? So clearly the game was not close. However, there were a bunch of big, potentially game-swinging mistakes or freaky things or bad luck, all of which went against Dallas. So we talked early, there was that roughing the passer call that shouldn't have existed that that turned three into seven points. Um, Dallas should have had a blocked punt that would have, could have changed the game in a huge way, right? Weird. Sam Williams, was it? Yes. Gets completely clean up the middle and somehow jumped past the football. And not only did he not block it, but he then, because he jumped past the ball, jumped into the punter and actually turned it into a first down, right? And ends up getting rough in the kicker. Yeah. And instead, it could have been a defensive or a special teams touchdown for Dallas and ends up being a first down and the drive extended for Buffalo instead. Like, that's... That's about as bad a swing as you're going to get on a single play, which, I mean, that's a mistake by Dallas. So it's not like it's a bad luck play. But they essentially engineered a blocked punt. And somehow, instead of a blocked punt, which could easily have been a touchdown, it ends up being, it ends up being a first down on the play, which resulted in a touchdown on that drive. So that's 14 nothing, right? Yeah. That's, they could have been 7-7 seven, seven on a play where the first seven by Buffalo was a little bit lucky. So what could have been, you know, if you take it to the extremes, could have been like 3-7 Dallas is actually 14-0 Buffalo. Uh, Later on, they get a clean peanut punch on Stephon Diggs, which just, they just didn't get given the fumble? How did that work? I don't know what happened there. They got a clean knock out of the ball and had recovered it. And I think they just, I don't know what happened on that play, but they just, they didn't get it anyway. So there was a bunch of little plays that went against Dallas um, they could have made this a much closer game than it actually was, but it, it doesn't change the fundamentals, which is, you know, Dallas could not stop Buffalo's running game all, all game long, and the Bills' defense was hyper-aggressive and did do a really good job of stopping this Dallas offense, which had been, up until this point, very difficult to stop. Yeah, I appreciate the nuance there because it is easy to get caught up in this. I've done this before, too coming out of a Sunday where there's a blowout. There you go. Fact checker Ben in on it. The official ruled that play down, and Dallas didn't uh, look at it quickly enough to challenge. jeez. Oh, so, yeah, I mean, where, where we're breaking down a blowout, and it's like I know it feels bad for the Cowboys or it feels bad for the losing team, but literally if you just flip a couple plays, which yeah. may have been lucky, unlucky, may have been their fault, that just maybe the next time they go a little differently, it it's not as close. That's not diminishing the credit that the Bills – deserve here their defense did an outstanding job their coverage unit I mean Dak missed what one or two deep balls early I think it was coverage unit though made everything difficult they were working downhill attacking no yards after the catch Um, I mean they're 
They're such the, a good job. The Bills' the coverage seven. defenders had ten defensive stops. So plays where they've given up a catch. That's what I'm saying. It just felt like they were flying to the football yeah. in this game. So plays where they've given up a catch but make a tackle either short of the first down on you know third down or fourth down or very close to the line of scrimmage, like short of a successful play on offense. So they were giving up catches but making sure they weren't going anywhere. Um, a ton of them were like dump off, you know, check downs to uh, Tony Pollard. But they just their defense was absolutely suffocating Dallas. So even if a bunch of these plays had broken Dallas's way, I think Buffalo probably still wins the game and maybe by a score or two because Dallas wasn't able to stop them and they weren't able to move the ball themselves. Dak had about 38% of his yards after came after the catch. Like they just did not. I mean, the Bills did a great job cracking down on that. So that's one thing. Um, Dak's going to end up he's – in, he's in the middle of one of the strangest seasons of all time. If you look at his <laughs> – grading breakdown he's still grading at 90 plus and at the end of the day here at the end of this game he'll probably be grading in the 40s it'll be his third game maybe in the 30s it'll be the third game where he grades in the 40s or lower and it was the Niners game in week five it was the Cardinals game in week three and then this game against Buffalo and he's still at 90 plus I don't know if we've ever seen that in history I don't know if fact checker Ben doesn't have time to look back to 06 for that one um but just a just a crazy difference in performance for Dak week to week. So Buffalo deserves credit. Prescott didn't make the throws. Um, the one other thing here, I saw that. I don't even want to reference it. Skip. And the stupid. Skip? Skip Bayless. And, like, I, I still can't even believe he's a thing. <laughs> you see? But he he's throwing the mic apart. He does these, like, staged, yeah. I'm going to throw the jersey. I'm Like, it's not even... I only saw it because Richard Sherman. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Did you see Sherman? Sherman's tweet is actually begging him to stop making his wife record these ridiculous social videos. It's just <laughs> insane. Like, I'm, every one of them is. Every one of them involves him walking into his kitchen from whatever that back room is in the doorway back there that we never see, like strutting in, you know, in a in a peak of rage. And then doing whatever he's going to do. In this case, it's take a Micah Parsons jersey, toss it in the garbage, and then do this weird like walk off like John Wayne where he's been sitting on a horse too long. You know, he's like he walks really strangely. Um, go. I mean, so then it, it made me think. Okay, let's go back and watch Micah Parsons because Josh Allen only dropped back twenty-one times, whatever it was. And Micah Parsons probably ends up with seven pressures on twenty-one dropbacks. Now, did he hit Allen? No. No sacks. He's forced multiple incompletions. The one complaint you might say he lost contain when Allen rolled uh, the po- half rolled the pocket to throw to James Cook for that one touchdown pass. Parsons was unblockable again. I don't even think, but that's, the ball just kept coming out yeah. quickly by the Bills. That that happens sometimes. I don't even think that's a statement on Micah Parsons. It's I just think the Cowboys he's just already burned his Dak Prescott jersey and his CD Lamb jersey, and like this is the next Cowboys jersey I, he's got to throw I, in the again, bin. I don't want to give Skip Bayless any more time. Or I just anyway, Richard Sherman's tweet was stop making Ernestine. However you say that, which is his wife's name, film these videos. I think it's a fair point. He absolutely should stop making the poor woman film these videos. All right. So where does this have us now? Uh, Bill's at eight and six, and they are technically the number nine seed, Sam. They're not in the playoff picture right now. Yeah, they're not in. So there's um, ahead of them right now, the Bengals, Colts, Texans, 
and then it's the Bills. They're all eight and six. They're all in the wild card mix here. The Bengals are the one team that absolutely has the tiebreaker because they won the head they won the head to head over the Bills. The Colts and Texans, it's all going to be based off of win percentage in conference games. But the Bills are absolutely better than their eight and six record would show. Mm-hmm. Um, and the big story coming out of this, of course, is the multiple year narrative that they need to win games without just Josh Allen. Like they did it in this game. It was defense. It was run game. <laughs> yeah, it 15, was James Cook. Fifteen pass at that. Fifteen pass. Now he ran the ball a bunch. Had some scrambles. Had some sneaks and the whole thing. But that has to bode well that the Bills can can have this type of game. Right and win against Dallas too yeah. against a very good team that's huge. Well, and that's a I mean, we've talked all season long about how Dallas has the best pass rush in the NFL. Well, one of the best ways of negating that is not needing to pass the ball. I mean, if you're able to run the ball as as effectively as they were and rely on Josh Allen turning a few pass attempts into scrambles, I mean, they didn't expose themselves to the best pass rush in the NFL. Like you were saying, with Micah Parsons was still Micah Parsons. It's just that he didn't have. 35 40 dropbacks to tee off and go after the quarterback yeah um they in in their last three games here buffalo has the eastern stick chargers though they're coming off they've got a interim head coach by uh Mm, bump bump yeah so you got the bump they got the patriots and then they're at miami um so buffalo's got a road here the at miami game to finish the season will be interesting but they have a chance to get back in the playoff picture, obviously, and they'll be getting they'll be getting pretty hyped up because they beat the Cowboys and the shouty shows. The shouty shows are having a ball right now, live as we speak, trashing the Cowboys. They're all trashing the Cowboys. Yeah, well, it's Skip all, certainly is. It's all over for Dallas. All right, let's wrap it up with Sunday Night Football: Baltimore Ravens twenty-three, Jacksonville Jaguars seven. Ravens move to eleven and three, uh, sole possession of the number one seed. In the AFC right now, again, they control their own destiny, but they have to play the Niners and the Dolphins and the Bengals, I believe, in the last three weeks. Not a, not an easy schedule here for the Ravens. Jags fall to 8-6, one of the trio of teams sitting up top, the AFC South. Biggest news coming out of this game, though, a couple things. Eli- um, Keaton Mitchell. Ah, oh, horrible injury. Injured. He's out for the season. He was in the middle of a eight, uh, eight yards per carry game and blew out his knee. Dude, I have – I don't but, remember an injury like that he like hyperextended it he did one of those things where he sort of tripped up slightly you know and you kind of do that you're falling forward you're trying to keep your own balance and he just stuck out a leg in the course of sort of slightly falling forward and it hyperextended and just like shredded itself yeah it was horrible looking um and then after the game trevor lawrence it was announced by doug peterson that trevor lawrence has been uh, added to the concussion protocol um, don't know when that would have happened during the game, but the Jags have to come back, and uh, they play the Bucks next week. And now we're watching Trevor Lawrence to see if he can get out of concussion protocol within a, within a week here. Um, but the Ravens win twenty three to seven, and did a really nice job defensively. Uneven game for Trevor Lawrence. Lamar Jackson with some spectacular plays, and he finishes with ninety seven yards on twelve carries. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts on the football game? So uh, this was a lot of. Jacksonville shooting themselves repeatedly in the foot. Um, I think NBC flashed up a graphic at halftime that this was the most yardage any team had had this season whilst not scoring in the first half. They had like 180 yards or something in the first half. feels right. And somehow conspired not to score, whether it was turning the ball over, whether it was that weird halftime sequence. Four big errors. Yeah. 
that we should highlight, right? Cool. So two missed field goals. You have Trevor Lawrence just straight fumbling the ball, not forced, just dropping yeah, it. Just like lost the ball in the middle of running. The worst part about that play, it was, just thir- it was third and long. Yeah. And whether he picked up two yards or seven yards, they were kicking a field goal right. no matter what. It was third and 10-plus, Like believe. a guaranteed three-point mistake. Three-point, right. So they're going to kick another field goal. It was the closest field goal they would have attempted in that, in that half. They would Three-point mistake. He drops the ball mm-hmm. while scrambling. And then the last one was with about with under a minute left, complete a big pass at about the four or five yard line. They have no timeouts left. They get tackled in bounds. They run up to the line. They have about five or six seconds left. They run up to the line. Tarico's yelling, they're gonna spike it, they're gonna spike it. They actually get into the gun and throw a pass. And they throw a quick pass to the flat. Parker Washington catches it, gets tackled in bounds, time runs out in the half. Mm-hmm. They had more than seven seconds, right? They had enough time to even, you know, tease getting back to the line, but they, we knew that they were out of time. So they get zero points there. That was a disaster. There were 11 seconds on the clock when that play went on. 11 seconds, right? So you have zero chance if you get tackled in bounds, but you have a chance to throw at least two one. Two passes. Yes. Yeah. You should throw two passes to the end zone. Because it's first down. So yes. you've got at least two shots at the end zone. So they could have spiked it, taken right. two shots at the end zone, or even if they were going to run a play, when they snap it, which is fine. Like, I don't mind the hurry up and snap it, but you have to throw that ball into the end zone. Yeah. You can't throw it short. Or at the very minimum, something you guarantee is going yeah. out of bounds. And a lot of times, I think in that hurry-up situation, I think you see quarterbacks do this sometimes. They'll run up, they snap the ball, and, and then they'll just, they'll just overthrow it out of bounds. And you waste like an extra couple seconds versus the spike, but you're taking the chance that maybe the defense doesn't align yeah. quickly and you steal a touchdown. Right. You have, I mean, the hurry-up nature of that play does theoretically play to your advantage, particularly if you've already sort of said, which you have, like this is the play we're running if we get this. You know what I mean? Like they have that preset, whereas the defense doesn't know what's going on. So there is an element of surprise that works in your favor, um, but you can't do what they did. Like the one thing you can't do is what they did. Is it the short inbounds that doesn't get out it was it was really bad um jags only touchdown was jamal agnew getting behind the defense for a 65 yard touchdown that did make it 10 to 7 Hmm. in the third quarter makes it seem like hey there's a game here but look the ravens have been you know lamar jackson it is fascinating because when they need plays and this is what chris kept highlighting last night they couldn't sack him he throws it up gets it to isaiah likely that set up a touchdown um, really nice pass to Isaiah Likely up the seam for a 16-yard touchdown. When they needed big plays, Lamar was there. But also when they're trying to hold on to a lead, and I know they've had some of the most egregious blown leads in the NFL over the last two years. But his ability, Lamar's ability to just run the ball and just you know pick up plays that most quarterbacks can't, whether it's uh, on keepers or QB power or counter or whatever they're running, the creativity of the Ravens run game and the difficulty in stopping them it that that's where every time the Jags got a little bit closer a little bit closer the Ravens would run some clock and I thought the Ravens also left a lot of opportunities like they did a good job of moving moving the ball and then they stall out so they could have put up a lot more points as well but they did a really nice job of at least handling the comeback by the Jags in this game I think there's a lot of value as well to a quarterback even if they don't do it as a default being able to scramble you know so even when you are going to call a pass, if the pass isn't on, instead of just instead of a negative play happening, Lamar yep. is able to turn that into something useful, right? And even if it's not scramble around behind the line of scrimmage and then find a pass, just simply being able to keep the clock moving, keep ahead of the chains, keep the drive alive by scrambling and not 
uh-oh, this didn't work, it's an incomplete pass, you know? That, or a sack, you know, something worse. And this isn't obviously just a Lamar Jackson-specific thing, but any quarterback that's athletic and mobile enough to be able to scramble and make positive yardage, I think becomes incredibly valuable in terms of protecting a lead because those guys can do things that other quarterbacks can't, and they, they don't need to be as efficient in the passing game. Yeah, I mean, that's you're stealing, you're stealing yards, man. And I thought that was, that was a huge part of this game for the Ravens. Um, Trevor Lawrence on the other side, really, I, I think I mentioned it on the preview show, how he had that game a couple weeks ago where it felt like <coughs> difficulty level was high. Um, and Stafford had this game against the Ravens where there were so many tight window throws and Stafford hit them. Um, Lawrence, what you know, it was. There was a lot of tight window throws that they had to make. Everything was difficult because this Ravens defense generally makes life difficult. Um, and Lawrence missed a bunch of them. There was a point where it looked like his, he was shaking his arm out. I mean, I don't know what he's doing. He, Lawrence might be dealing with four different injuries right now. <laughs> Honestly, he's got a groin since week seven or eight. He's got the high ankle sprain, which is a you know three to four week injury. We're in week two of that. He's now in concussion protocol, and whatever was happening with his arm, he threw like three straight passes straight into the turf. Remember that happened to Josh Allen last year. He had something happen with his arm against the Jets last year. Where Allen just could not throw the ball, and he kind of worked through it, shook it off, and well, he had a, didn't he have a UCL sprain, right? Yeah, and he then he made it worse, like in that game or whatever it was. He sprained the ligament that Brock Purdy like snapped like a banjo string. Right, the Tommy John surgery yeah. versus um, just a sprain. I, I'm an elbow sprain survivor, so it's not it's not easy to throw through. No, no. Is that why you you top out at seventy five now? Oh no, that's just age and age. poor conditioning. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. But that's why I didn't make it out of AAA. I, think. Oh. I was I was on my way to the big leagues, and then the elbow in '08. Got you called up in June to AAA. On my way, the Giants were calling everybody up that year, man. They were calling everybody up. In my second outing, boom, sprain. I mean, you'd Tried already to pitch through it. You'd already be in the Hall of Fame, but for that, not the baseball. Yeah, one, if I just you know the, made it to San Francisco, the Italian American National Sports, whatever the hell it is. If I made it to the big leagues, my line would be something like five innings, nine ERA, eight nine hits. But I would have been you know in the bigs. None of that means anything to me, but cool. It would have been bad. Gotcha. It would have been bad, but I would have at least made it because of the elbow sprain. So, yeah, Lawrence is dealing with all sorts of stuff. But, yeah, he needed like they needed him to, to play better <laughs> in this game. That's my take. No, I mean, it's a legitimate one. I think it's true. Um, it, it, it also makes um, the Trevor Lawrence experience more confusing. I know he's, he's battling all those injuries that I, that I mentioned – but I keep every time the Jags play one of those games, I'm saying, okay, are they ready to get up to the elite level? And maybe and now the question is, can they even survive the Colts and the Texans now in the AFC South? Especially if Lawrence is in concussion protocol, if he can't play this week with C.J. Beathard. Jags peaked at the end of the season last year. It's kind of going the other way this year. Yeah, I mean, the shooting themselves in the foot thing was <clears throat> was a big problem. Like they just put themselves too far behind in this game and weren't able to come back to any any great degree the other thing you know on the broadcast on the broadcast chris was sort of saying if i could wish them any any boost what would i give them and he essentially wanted to give them some more oomph up front on the offensive line so that they could run the ball better so they could do things like that i think honestly both trenches like if they could be a boosted in, in both trenches like that's their weakness at the moment josh allen had a great game uh, on the defensive line, which he has pretty much all season. I know he didn't have a sack, but he had eight total pressures. 
Ronnie Stanley is hurt and just not playing the way Ronnie Stanley generally does. They were down both tackles at one point, the Ravens' offensive line, so you'd expect Josh Allen to have a pretty good game. Trayvon Walker's okay. like He's making more plays now than he did before, but it's still not enough, and they don't really have any major interior pass rush presence. So they're a little bit like the Lions, actually. I've said this all season long. The, the, the Lions and the Jags are basically the same team in, in different conferences. But they're still just too reliant on one guy up front for pass rush, for general defensive line disruption. It's Josh Allen, and if he's not able to individually take over the game, they're probably not going to do enough to really impact the opposition. So you'd want some more on that side of the ball for them on, uh, on the defensive line. And I think he's right. On the offensive line, they're just not good enough yet. They've been banged up. They're you know, forced into the bench a bit, and... They've got three guys in this game that are going to grade like in the 40s or the 50s, giving up a ton of pressure, um, and it's not it's not as good in the in the run game either. So they are weak in both trenches, which are pretend, which is potentially enough to set them way behind in the AFC. All right, man, Baltimore Ravens, man, they're 11 and three. We got Christmas night going on against the 49ers. The last game of next weekend is Monday night, Christmas night, 8-15, Ravens 49ers, potential Super Bowl preview. We're getting some of these games late here, some of these killer matchups here. Um, in the Ravens' final schedule, and this is why I said Kansas City, you know, if you're a Chiefs fan, you, you might have a path to the number one overall seed. Do the, the Ravens would have to lose twice. But they play the Niners, the Dolphins, and then the Steelers. Who the, who the heck knows? You know, they already lost to the Steelers because they dropped seven passes or whatever happened, blocked punts and the whole thing. So Baltimore, they've won four straight. They've won eight out of nine, playing well. They've got different ways to win. They've been leading in the last two minutes of the fourth quarter in every game this year, Baltimore, and they've lost three of them somehow. Um, but they got the Niners, Dolphins, and the Steelers. So it's a, it's a tough run here, but the, the Ravens control their own destiny for that number one seed. And I'll tell you what, that's um, – I think that's important come playoff time. If you're trying to beat the Chiefs, the I mean, Bills. the buy is huge, right? That's, that's huge. Yeah, the buy is huge. Even if I'm kind of of the opinion that generally this year, seeding doesn't really matter in terms of outside of the 49ers. I'm not sure there's an elite team in the league, the entire league, the AFC, the NFC, all of it. That's fair. Um, but so to the, from that point of view, like Buffalo, right? They're not even in the playoff seeding right now, and yet – a game like that, they've just shown they can beat pretty much any team in the NFL and beat them handily. So does it matter if Buffalo makes it as the seven seed or the two seed? No. Like Either way, they can. it's the same. The only difference is that bye week, right? In a, in a playoff year that I think is probably going to be chaotic because all these teams are fairly evenly mixed, um, not having to expose yourself to that one loss is huge. We just get to sit back and chill and watch madness unfold on wildcard weekend while you know upsets happen and all sorts of stuff go crazy yeah it's huge i mean it's <clears throat> there's a lot of a lot of the teams that have number one seed aspirations have huge games including both the 49ers and the ravens next week so should be great that's it man we finished earlier today wow. how do we do that well, we got a lot closer to. I actually, for a while, it looked like it was going to be a really early podcast, and then obviously we. Uh, no, we play right up, right we, up to the whistle. We did what we normally do, we which do is we do. extend our time and fill the space. Well, 
Yeah, I have nothing to say on that. It's right. <laughs> we did it. All right, I got my 9.30 meeting, my weekly 9.30 meeting. I'll be on time for it this time. Sweet. Um, so we got Monday Night Football tonight, Philadelphia Eagles and Seattle Seahawks. It sounds like Jalen Hurts might not play. Yeah. So uh, Sickness. David Carr gets his wish. Yes. Marcus Mariota. And, I mean, dude, what a combination. Marcus Mariota on offense, Matt Patricia on defense. It's it's really what championships are made of. Matt Patricia's calling plays for the Eagles. Apparently. On the defensive side. And um, we think Geno Smith is getting the start for the Seahawks. Could still be Drew Locke, technically. We'll see what happens. But you'll be here breaking it down a little bit tomorrow, and you've got the big interview as well. we got a really good interview tomorrow, which I think you will want to listen to. And so I'll be here with Trev breaking down Monday Night Football, and then we will pitch to our big interview. And then Wednesday, we have our Christmas extravaganza special, and we will have big news tomorrow as well that we're not allowed to break today. Big news tomorrow. We'll repeat the news Wednesday and Thursday, so we'll keep going with it. Oh, yeah. And the Wednesday show, you're going to want to just... We'll be repeating this news for a while because of the closing dates that are shown in this email. Long time. Um, (laughs) But Wednesday's a big one, so you're not going to want to miss the Wednesday Christmas show. Might have a couple surprises for you as well. There is going to be outfits. It will be amazing. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you again tomorrow with more PFF NFL Podcast.